Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Arby Loveless. And Danielle. And I'm Matt Strackbine. Yeah. Hey, Matt, thanks for coming back this week. Yes, no problem. Make sure to check out our pals at Mignolaverse.com. This week, they've got a Joe Gollum review. I haven't read a whole lot of the Joe Gollum, so I'll be sure to check that out. Also, give us reviews. We'd love it if you could also tell a friend. That's probably one of the best things that you can do if you have a friend that's into comic books or maybe they've been meaning to read Hellboy or get into any of those series, you know, tell them about it. Say, hey, you know, if you want to get into this, this is a great way. Listen to this podcast. I also got my Thousand Toys Hellboy figure this week, and so I was really excited about that. I was posting it online, and the first thing I did was pose him in the He-Man Masters of the Universe pose when he's holding up the sword. It was one of my all-time favorites, yeah, growing I, up. I think you the first thing you actually did was blow up my phone going, hey, sorry, I don't mean to blow up your phone. <laughs> I sent you all these different pictures of him doing all these different poses. I had him fighting the queen alien. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Yeah, I need to see that figure before I leave here tonight. Yeah, yeah, you definitely need to play around with it. And now we're going to move on to some listener feedback. Hey, you damn guys, drinking with skeletons, kill the black flame. We had a Hey, You Damn Guys from Gabriel Meza. He said, Hey, you damn guys, greetings from Honduras. You guys and Gal are my favorite comic book podcast. My obsession with the Mignolaverse started when I bought all four Hellboy Omnibus editions on Christmas on last year. And once I finished them, in about two months, I needed more. It's been a pleasure to listen to you guys talk about these great stories in this terrific world that Mignola, with the help of these amazing artists, have created for us. BPRD has quickly become one of my favorite comic books next to the likes of Saga by Brian K. Vaughn, Planetary by Warren Ellis, and Doom Patrol by Grant Morrison. All of which are great books that I would love you guys to talk about someday. Yeah, because he's in good company there. Yeah, have you read any? Have you read all those? Well, I've read Saga, well, up to a point, but then um, I, I know of the other ones. I just haven't read any of them. And Grant Morrison is, is an amazing writer. Right. Have you read those, Matt? Planetary or Doom Patrol by Grant Morrison? Uh, Planetary is one of my all time favorites. I nice. love that series. Okay. Uh, it And it wrapped up, too. So, oh, okay. So it's got a definitive ending. That's that's always yeah. good. He also said, "The Abyss of Time is a comic in which you don't really see any major characters, but you get to see a very important event through the eyes of a new character that has a lot of story potential going forward." Now on to my crazy Professor O'Donnell talk. Two things that I'd like to point out: first, the cold people that the grandfather of Gaul Denar fights after obtaining the sword look like reanimated corpses of the protohumans we've seen since Hollow Earth. Which brings me to my next point, being that the guy that summons the monster in issue two has the ceremonial armor that strongly resembles the King of Fear. Yeah, so I didn't make that connection. Insert Jack Nicholson gif. Yeah. Nodding, (laughs) smiling. I thought that was a great detail. That's cool. He also said, I wanted to say that Phoenix is written as if it's in Spanish, which got me thinking about the origins of the word, and this is what I found. The word phoenix comes from the Latin phoenix, meaning a color red or purple. Mm-hmm. Phoenix's hair color. Some legends say that the bird lived in paradise, but when Adam and Eve were kicked out of paradise, a spark from the sword of the angel that was tasked with moving them fell on the phoenix's nest, and so the bird died engulfed in fire, but it was reborn from its ashes. It was possible because the bird hadn't eaten the forbidden fruit. 
This to me might be a parallel to the people of Hyperborea or Shanshan and Liz due to the nature of their fire-based powers and the fact that maybe they might still have some connection of sorts to Hyperborea. A case can also be made for Gaul and Agent Howard's. Maybe they are reincarnations. Maybe there's a connection between all of this. Hyperborea, Liz, Howards, and Phoenix. And maybe I need more sleep and less coffee. Sorry I went a bit O'Donnell. That was a great O'Donnell rant. Yeah. That was excellent. So I thought that awesome. was some great feedback. Yeah. Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you. That was actually Gabriel, really good. book club member. Yeah, really good. He also said, love you guys. Keep up the excellent work and fuck the black flame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Unequivocal hatred of the I know, black right? flame. <laughs> and I think that that's perfect for this episode, too. Demanded. Last week, DJ Alpha T mentioned Anno Dracula and Mark Tweedell said, okay, so Anno Dracula, Mignola really loves that series. In fact, he got the author, Kim Newman, to write a Witchfinder story, The Mysteries of Unland. And so that's, uh, I think, Witchfinder 4. Okay. So when we get to that one, oh, that's actually written cool. by the author of Anno Dracula, which, yeah. So that that's I like cool. like all those connections. That's cool that he got to work with somebody he wanted to work with. Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. I guess when you're Mignola, you can be like, I, li- I like this book. Sure, Come yeah. write something for me, that's please. Awesome. Yeah. We also talked about our favorite villains a little bit. Jan Niklas said, favorite Hellboy villains, non-HB-verse. Astaroth, still my favorite because he's a smart one. And he's so smooth that he stays a real oddity between all the doomsayers and big brawlers. Hecate, mostly because of the design and how she presents herself. She doesn't do much, but if we are honest, (laughs) but she's good at being cryptic and mysterious. How could she not be number two? Number three, Herman von Klemp, because he's a nutter, and no design of Hellboy's enemies got as outlandish and crazy as the talking head and his gorillas. <laughs> I also like how he got some character development in Conquer Worm, which now reads like a meta-commentary of the series, leaving its pulpy roots behind and becoming more of an adventure story. BPRD and the rest of the HB-verse... Number one, Martin Guilford. Just kidding. Ah. (laughs) The Oan Society. I still love those guys. They are true companions in their own weird way. And that gives them the kind of complexity that most of the BPRD villains kind of lack. They are not evil, just out of their mind. Also, the design of their suits and their plan are two of the biggest highlights of the series, in my opinion. Number two, the Black Flame. Sorry, Matt. I will tell you later. Why? Number three. Why? Bl- Wait, why later? <laughs> yeah, why later? <laughs> what are you waiting for? I think maybe it's spoilery to the discussion. Uh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. And then he says, number three, Bruno. Okay, in all serious, it's a guy from the Lobster series that you'll meet later. So nice. I guess there's okay. another Bruno. Okay. And I'm excited there's more Lobster. Yeah. Yeah. And Jason Abaddon said, you guys were talking about the Black Flame. I'd have paid real money for Liz to have called him Dollar Store Ghost Rider at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for sure. That's pretty good. Accurate. That's great, yeah. Some feedback on an unmarked grave. Jason Abaddon said, You damn guys, I'm listening to the podcast while driving around at 2 a.m. and had to pull over to post my thoughts on what Danielle said about Bruno and Kate's relationship. I think the entire story was about Kate making the choice to stay with the Bureau and keep fighting. Yes. She refuses Alice's offer to stay in England, and then Bruno calls and puts their relationship to an end. Yeah. So it's kind of like those two, yeah. 100% agree that it's just really showcasing her determination and her commitment to this i think that she's just 100 percent. she's all in she always has been and she always will be and we can rely on her and i was really excited to see that so definitively yeah because we get we get a lot of very real shit going on with all these characters that were like 
oh, but I like that guy. And now he's kind of being a dick. Right. What's going on? But like that's, that's literally everyone. Kate has always been just so committed to right. doing what's right, doing what needs to be done, fighting this fight that is unfucking winnable. She could have been like, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. Yeah. I'll stay here. Yeah. I don't have this relationship anymore or yeah. whatever. But it's like she's not going to give up even though she absolutely stands no chance of doing anything good or worthwhile. <laughs> she's just going to keep going anyway and just doing what she knows is right, which I think is very... That's the Kate that we know. And yeah. I, I love that that yeah. was just definitively... That story really, yeah, put that down in black. Yeah. So that's... Good feedback. Mark Tweedo also said, I can't remember the exact circumstances now, but for some reason... Duncan Figredo ended up sending me scans of his studies for this story. There was an image which evolved into the cover of Kate on the bench being comforted by Alice. It was gorgeous. And Duncan Figredo responded. He said, I remember that, but not the circumstances. <laughs> and Mark Tweedo said, I ended up printing it out and sticking it next to my computer. It served as an inspiration whenever I was stuck on the Hell Notes article. And so he said he was going to see if he could still find that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Nice. When I shared the pic of the Bendigo. Mark <clears throat> Tweedo, book remember. Mark Tweedell mentioned that it was part of the 31 Days of Abe Sapien in 2013. And you can still go check that out at multiversitycomics.com. So every day there was a different one of Abe. And then that was the one that Ben Stenbeck did, was the one with the Bendigo. And also Jerry tagged me in a post. So he had already posted that to Mike Mignolo's art like probably like a year ago or even longer and i just didn't even notice it so wow you know um i had never seen that bendigo picture before that's a really cool image though (laughs) yeah it is and jason abaddon said it's awesome abe and my spaghetti eating pal he has this ongoing joke that it's a the blood stain (laughs) is just spaghetti i love that (laughs) i love it (laughs) some feedback on our figredo episode last week Thanks to Jason Abaddon and Jerry Turnbull for letting me share their awesome Figredo art. Did you see those? I did. Those were amazing. Book club members. Yeah, and Figredo, he actually commented on Jason's on Twitter, and he said he remembered that one. He was like, oh, I remember doing that one in Florida. Oh, nice. Jules Oliveira said, hey, you damn guys, I just finished today my first ever read-through of the Mignola Figredo trilogy, and what can I say? Figredo's art perfectly illustrated the chaotic, fantastic, and superb storytelling of Mignola. I love the action and the emotional quiet moments, too. And I guess I can now consider myself a Figredo fan. Thanks for spotlighting him with this week's podcast. As a Hellboy reader from the Philippines, I really don't know any other people who are into Hellboy BPRD world. And it's just refreshing to listen to like-minded people who love the comics as much as I do and who don't mind getting lost in all the details crafted by Mignola. So thank you, guys. Wow, cool. Yeah, so that was great. I really enjoyed that piece of feedback. Hope to hear from you again. Reading reading Hellboy comics and talking to your friends in the Philippines. (laughs) Jen Nikla said, hey, come on. The running gags about evil Germans write themselves after a while. It's true. It's true. As for Duncan, I already wrote that The Wild Hunt is my favorite story, so not much more to add. But I think he brought real tenderness in Hellboy. Mike can do tender too, but it's more of a weird one. Like the monstrous werewolf being tired. Duncan makes Hellboy look more vulnerable, more approachable, more like you and me after a long and hard day. That's why on his run we got the most emotional scenes in all of Hellboy. Thanks for that, Duncan. Still, after that talk about Hellboy's sex life, I want to see Hellboy imprisoned in a bad 70s porn flick, saxophone, tasteless, goad chain, and porn stash inclusive. Amazing. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) Just 
Wow. Well, I, I, I'm not really saying I'd want to see that, but I wouldn't mind seeing him with the porn stash. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, there's a there's always never going to be able to not think about that. There's Thank always you there's always that. porn versions of, of uh, whatever yeah. franchise, and I don't know that they've done this one. Wow. Isn't it called like <laughs> Rule Thirty Four or something? Like that? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So thanks for that, Jen Nicholas. Drew Campbell said, I think Matt was spot on when he said Mike draws Hellboy the way he draws Hellboy and Duncan draws Hellboy the way he should be drawn. I've seen a lot of Hellboy fan art that just totally misses what makes Hellboy look so cool and unique, but Duncan nails it. His art style is very different from Mike's, but he somehow manages to capture the look and essence of Hellboy perfectly while still staying 100% true to his own style. It's totally Duncan, but it's also totally congruent with Mike's art. Like John said, his Hellboy arc is a masterpiece. So see, you got some uh, you, you got some confirmation on that, Matt. Good, cool. That's positive. <laughs> I, I was anticipating the room didn't go the completely cold. <laughs> right, right. Well, actually, I, I've been thinking about that like all week, and I started thinking about like every time I kind of picture the comic Hellboy in my head, I think it's always for Grados. Right? Yeah. So you I start think, thinking I think, of that. I think I agree with you, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Just to reiterate what I was saying last week, it's truly a benefit to being the next Hellboy artist or anyone after Mike right, Mignola, yeah. because now you have this, um, you have so much reference and. On the one hand, it's difficult to stay true to that, right? It's not the easiest thing to do. You don't want to look like you're he, copying someone's art stuff. Right. And yeah. but then to bring your own fresh perspective to it could that's a, a fine balance to strike. Like if you go too far, eh, it's not the same anymore. But if you do it just right, like Duncan Figredo does, right. then then it's it's something more, right? Yeah, and it and also your comment kind of makes me think of you know, there was another artist that was going to do it, and then for some reason that did not yeah, go yeah. through, and then they ended up having Duncan instead. So I think that really kind of goes along with what you're saying a little bit. You know what I mean? That he he was able to strike that balance perfectly, where mm-hmm. maybe other artists couldn't. I don't I don't want to say that that's what happened, but you know what I mean? Yeah, you know? we don't want we don't want anyone to change Hellboy. Right, and, and right, Mike yeah. Mignola's, like you were talking about a little bit, Mike Mignola's art style is so unique and so strong and yeah. so very, I mean, you know, he's his style has been carefully cultivated over the years and he's worked really hard on that. Right. So it's beautiful. It's very, it's very artful and he's an amazing storyteller and I love his style. And, um, but that's not to say that I don't like Duncan Vigredo's, the way that he draws all right. that stuff. I mean, obviously we loved it. We did a whole friggin' episode on it. So it's <laughs> amazing. I just, I don't know. I think for me, it's just apples and oranges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're right about Mignola's style because it has really become refined. If yeah. you think back to it's fine art. some of those, you think about some of those early Hellboy stories and Seed of Destruction, and then you look at where we are with, you know, what was some of the last stuff that we saw? The Third Wish and the Island. It's very, it's it's evolved a long way by the time it gets there. There's a reason Even that, he had his that own double, show. That double splash that we get in King of Fear is kind of, that's leading more in the direction that he goes, which it, it is very refined. He's had many, many yeah. years to kind of perfect that look. There's a reason he's in the Met. Yeah. I mean. Awesome. Jerry Turnbull said... Duncan is not just a tremendous artist, he's also a super nice guy. I was lucky enough to get this from him a few years ago, and he posted that picture, which I posted. Um, If you haven't checked that out, it's an amazing piece. It's got Hellboy with Excalibur, and it just looks very, it's like a full painted piece of art. Yeah, it's amazing. If you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. Yeah. What you're doing, 
or pull over to the side of the road and just yeah. check it out right now. <laughs> Anytime anyone says the word Excalibur, all I can think of is that song. I cut That's it into I, I cut of. it into yeah. the episode where yeah. Oh, I forgot you did that. That's great. <laughs> Sarah Cole said, I'm starting to think Strackbine's right about this hot take. Figredo keeps HB's form just a touch more dimensional, playing with the visibility coming from the heavy shadows just as Mignola does, but selecting or maybe just allowing more details to poke up. I don't know. The more I thought about Matt's opinion and went back to look at the books, hmm, I keep agreeing with him in tiny ways more and more. But I love both Mignola and Figredo's work, so it makes choosing between them quite a challenge. Yeah, so there you go. It's Good. The stars in the sky. Yeah. This is Grains of Sound the Beach. <laughs> Mark Tweedell said, We really need a Hellboy Library Edition Volume 7 to collect the Midnight Circus and all of Duncan's new prints he's done since Volume 6. It deserves a deluxe presentation. I would love to see that. I would love to have a library edition that has Midnight Circus in it. Now, there, there was a hardback awesome. I got you, wasn't there? No, yeah, so the prestige version. Right. We got that signed. We, we do have that one, but I'd like to see it in the oversized the pages. pages, yeah. yeah. Okay, the big art pages. He said, personally, no one draws Little Hellboy better than Figredo. <laughs> and Figredo responded, he said, thanks, Mark. He was so much fun to draw. A nice antidote to all the grueling stuff I had to put him through in the Fury. And Mark Tweedell said, still hoping that someday you'll get to draw his adventures in Africa in 1947. And Figredo said, I'd like to read that one too. Oh, nice. Yeah. So nice. hey, let's let's uh let's start a petition to <laughs> to get bothering the professional series. artists to draw fan no, 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 art no. for we'll, us. We'll just put it on change.org so everybody can sign it, but nothing will happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I posted the picture of Little Hellboy, Joshua Worley said, wonder who his favorite team was. Was it ever mentioned? And so he did mention Jackie Robinson. So that would be Brooklyn Dodgers, I think, right? It's a cool parallel, though. Yeah, yeah. No one, I've, people treat me different because yeah, of sure. how I look and it's bad. And I'm going to make it in the I'm going to make it yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to break barriers. When I posted that picture of Little Hellboy with the baseball, did you see that one? It was a Figredo mm-hmm. one. It was from the library edition. Clayton Schofield at Sir Edward Gray posted, he has the original of that. He has that nice. actual piece. He said, Duncan's work in the Midnight Circus is my absolute favorite of his. I'm in awe every time I open up that book, and I would love to buy a page from it someday. I think we're so lucky that Duncan and Mike continue to collaborate together. Pure magic. When I posted about Figredo's stuff sketchbook, Figredo commented on that one too. He said, wow, you have a copy of this? It was print on demand, and there must only be a few hundred copies in existence. I'm not sure how many finally sold, but it wasn't that many, I'm sure. Fun book to put together, though. I might have to do a digital version or something. Cool. And there was another cool interaction with Figredo on Twitter with Ross Radke. He posted some of his Hellboy work, and he said, Figredo is a huge influence. It's probably obvious that a lot of my work is an attempt to approximate his ink wash style in a digital medium. And he said, I love his textures, especially on a mug like Hellboy's. <laughs> and so he posted a picture, and then Figredo like, gave him feedback. And then so and then so, so awesome. and then so Ross Ross redid it with the feedback and then Figredo responded to that too. And that's so it was like awesome. a it was so awesome. I was like, wow, this is actually happening. Wow, that's wow. That's so nice. 
Yeah, so, you know, uh, Figredo talked about consider the direction of the lighting, and he said the best thing to do is to observe and practice and have fun. Solid advice. And yeah. Very cool to spend your time helping artists out when they're learning how to do stuff. That's so nice. Ross said, I have eclectic tastes and love experimenting with different styles. For me, Figredo's art is a bridge between Mignola and more photorealistic guys like Brian Hitch. Stylistically, that's a huge leap, but Figredo is able to perfectly balance these extremes. Midnight Circus is one of my all-time favorite Hellboy stories because of the different styles. In a way, it reminds me of Bill Watterson playing with different styles on Calvin and Hobbes. I just love the idea of artists not being limited to one way of doing things. Yeah, so that was great feedback. I'm really, i glad that people enjoyed that Figredo episode because we hadn't really done anything like that. And um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I agree about that. I, I, I'm the kind of person who really can't settle on any specific style just because I want to do so many different things. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I also like to shout out to Bill Watterson. Yeah. Love yeah. 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 yeah, I love all that. And it did have a lot of different styles within the within all that. All right. And now we're going to get to our book club for the week. This week we're talking about BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Return of the Master. This is a five-issue miniseries published from August to December 2012. The issues feature covers by Ryan Sook, with a Year of Monsters variant cover by Mignola for the first issue. The third issue is the 100th issue of BPRD. So that's one thing that was really interesting is that with the third issue of this series, they went to a numbering so all of them had been little miniseries like Hollow Earth 1 through 3, Black Flame yeah. 1 through 5. Right. And then from issue 100, they started actually numbering the Hell on Earth issues. Do you remember when that happened, Matt? Yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. Actually, in the letter column at the end of this, I think it might be the second issue. Hold on, I want to see if I can find it really quickly. Scott Alley writes, 99 problems and a frog ain't one. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was the 99th issue. So he was kind of... Yeah, so in the 98th issue and the 99th issue, he started pointing it out in the letter column, and then they made the official changeover. And and at that point, I remember thinking, like, I had no idea it was up to 100. Yeah. It's pretty cool. When they don't number. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea, because, I mean, I I just thought it was all little miniseries. And so telling me that we're on the 100th issue, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm I'm so glad that you have that reference also, Matt, to the to the Scott Alley notes. Yeah, so I remember being pretty excited with that, and um, I was like, okay, you know, this Hell on Earth thing is kind of going to last a while, too, because they're like, okay, we're going to start numbering from here on out. When did you do to come out again? 2012. Yeah, okay, cool. No, I just noticed also in the back, so in the back of this first issue in the letter column, this is right when I went back to comics do you remember i think i wrote you guys a letter not yeah long ago. you did you Talking said that you had I... to take a break for a while and then you came back and you did a lot of stuff through the library right no but oh, i should sorry. have <laughs> uh in this letter column there was a library associate from new jersey who wrote a letter to oh, me oh yes in the okay letter column yes yes that was it saying yeah you know you can find this stuff at the libraries and the inner exchange program between libraries is something you could take advantage of and that's where scott said well okay somebody let matt know um <laughs> if whether he's reading this or not and i'll send out uh i think he sent us lobster johnson the burning hand sign nice yeah the trades so just for being fans and and then he says, you know, Hellboy fans stick together. Awesome. Pretty cool. And that's right when my uh, local comic shop called me and said, 
Hey, they're talking about you in the letter column. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool. That is pretty awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. All right. And this story is written by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Tyler Crook, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Tyler Crook, just this first uh, cover. The The uh, first page. The first page, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Hold on. I want to say them real quick. I'm really excited to get to the story, guys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I read it like two weeks ago, and I've just been dying to talk about uh, it. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Daniel. Go the ahead. covers are good, too, though. Yes, so, I love Ryan Sook love whenever Ryan we get Sook. to see his Absolutely stuff. Absolutely love Ryan Sook. Yes, but go on. You were going to say something about um, Tyler Crook? All the, you know, you get the establishing shot, all the buildings. We're going to go ahead and be a good storyteller. Love him. Oh, yeah. As I always. Mean, I mean, when I saw that it was, when I saw that it was this artist, I was like, oh, yes. Yeah. Facial expressions that go with what's going on. (laughs) Amazing. And we open up in Northwick, Scotland, which is a real bay. We see these troops and a crowd of people trying to get the fuck out. They have to wait until another ferry arrives. I love how they all have, um, they tried to approximate Scottish accents as best they could. And oh, yeah. Like, uh, not just the accent, I mean, but like the the, the way that you talk. What is right. that called? I don't know, the cadence? The cadence or just the, I don't know. There's lots of phrasing in here that I absolutely recognize as being extremely UK. <laughs> yeah and one of the troops he comes up and he tells the other that there's this weird dude and he's this regular looking guy in a gray jacket he's trying to come into scotland so everyone's trying to leave yeah. and then this guy's trying to come in awesome he has no baggage just a latvian passport so they all think that that's weird and then the security dog starts freaking out and crazy barking at this guy they tell the guy he's gonna have to come with them and then the dog like snaps off the collar and it's turning like all monster monster, yeah yeah. and it has like these um these rows of teeth that weird effect like i remember that that was on kothahem like those weird i don't know what that is but it's such a cool effect i love that yeah it's great like spikes coming out of his uh, legs. Kind yeah. Of like mutated dew claws. Oh, yeah. And so it's also happening to the other dogs. So there's like other guard dogs. And so they're all kind of turning into them. And they just start wrecking everything and just like mauling everybody. And this guy is very chill. He's got a very Constantine aura about him. Yeah. So I love this next page. The work that Tyler Crook, like the pacing of it, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's this just this whole frantic scene. People are coming out covered in blood and screaming. And this one guy is just like nonchalantly walking through the crowd, like totally calm. None of this is bothering him. And so that's this guy. He's walking straight into Scotland. We cut to the BPRD and we see Bruiser lying on a bed and we see Abe in his tank. And Phoenix talks to Kate. She confesses to Kate that she shot Abe, but she uses that excuse that her and Devon were talking yeah, and about. Yeah, we all know that, it's not real. Right, yeah. She's not sincere. Why is Devon not telling Kate, oh, she's lo- she's not being sincere. She's, right, she's yeah. literally told me she was going to use this as a ruse. Exactly. Yeah. Why is he not saying, anyway? Goes to Devon's character. <laughs> she says Abe just looked like another monster to her. But I figured it out later. I knew I did something wrong, Phoenix tells Kate. That's why I came looking for you, to turn myself in. Kate knows most of Phoenix's story from Devon. She knows that she was looking for the Bureau, and she knew they were in Colorado. And Kate buys her story for the most part. She's like, well, you know, you did have pneumonia, and Devon told us how you saved him on the train. So she's kind of, you know, she's buying all that because uh, I guess Phoenix has done too many good things also. I think that she's only about like sixty percent buying it because, like, look at this yeah, one I don't panel think she's really right before she's talking. Her her body language and her posture is like, 
Right. Right. I yeah. think she's still a little skeptical and she's going to be on guard for, you know, she's not going to totally trust her right now because yeah. she's smart. But Thanks she's for pointing that out, Aubrey. Also very kind. Yeah. So there, there is that panel where it's just that they spend time on putting a beat of just Kate just looking at her. I, I, thanks for pointing that out. Well, and then the very, I mean, the very first bit of dialogue, she's like, yeah, sure. You're right. Okay, I don't know. So she's. I think she's extending maybe like on the surface she's she's doing the same thing. She might be like, Yeah, well, you know, you do have this going for you, so I guess we'll keep you here, we'll keep an eye on you. Right, better that yeah. you're here, you know, I think maybe she's thinking like it's better that she's under our surveillance than anywhere else. Agreed. But. Right. That that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Uh, this could be a keep your enemies closer. Yeah. Kind right. Of thing. Kate's too smart but for that shit. On on the other hand, this has become a world where the more humans on your side, the better. Sure. Right. True. And and I don't see any reason to kick humans out. At well, this point. yeah, especially one that can sense disasters, you know, or yeah, whatever. Right. And so Phoenix says, she's, she, she's like, it's not that simple. But Kate says, I think we can probably help you with that. Phoenix, can I ask you something? That pendant, is that Enkelodite? So do you remember Enkelodite? Yeah. That was from uh, uh, BPRD 1940, yeah. which one was it, 47? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so we know that that was that uh, where they set off the nuclear explosion in that geomantic area. Yeah. It produced that enkelodite. So I think that's interesting. It's a big piece of it. Do you think that, that a piece that big would have any sort of radioactivity? Well, I don't know. She says my mama gave it to me before she died. And so we know that Dr. Ryu took some. Uh-huh. Remember that piece disappeared? Mm, right. And so yeah. I was wondering if there's a connection there. I don't know. Anyway. Right after that, Kate says, right, your family, something else we need to talk about. Okay, so maybe she knows something, or maybe she's like wanting to get her information out of her. Now that you're bringing up this whole Dr. Reeve angle that for some reason I didn't click to <laughs> when I was reading it, it really just kind of, you know, like if it is Dr. Reeve, somehow she's connected, then they probably have files on her. Right. Or her family or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I just thought, I, I wasn't sure what Kate is referencing here. She looks sad. Like, the way that I took it was, like, she was going to tell her that her family's dead. She's dead, yeah. I mean, apparently her, she knows her mom's dead. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, so I that's how I took that line. Outside, Johan approaches Devon, and they have a quick talk. Devon mentions Johan's rough suspension. It was actually better than I deserved, Johan says, as he walks away. And so I thought that was an interesting comment. I think, like, we're seeing that Johan is kind of maturing past some of this, uh, you know, revenge stuff and all this stuff that he was uh, obsessed with for all that time. Look in the background. Researchers. Right. Yeah. So last week I was saying these guys are more about defense and research, but this issue kind of proves that wrong. Oh. Okay. Not just that panel either, but going forward. Right, right. There's still people doing research. Yeah, yeah there are. At least Johan is accepting um, his punishment. For, sure. For the, and, and, and I guess in a way he's accepting responsibility for his actions. Right. Kate comes out and calls Devon into her office. She says she wants to keep Phoenix there, train her. The ape thing, I don't know how to handle that right now, she says. So let's keep it to ourselves, which is all the more reason I need you to keep a close watch on her. And so we cut to Devon and Phoenix, and Phoenix tells Devon that Kate bought the story. So they were in on it. You know what I mean? Earlier you were saying, why isn't Devon saying anything? Right. They were kind of like partnered up to, I guess, agree that she was going to say this thing. But I like the... uh... The idea that Kate has, like, I can still, I can have some sort of sway over this girl. It's not too late. Right. She's a little fucking brat. 
right now, <laughs> but I guess I can, you know, I right. can maybe yeah. get her trained up and get her on our side or something like that. Yeah, and Devon says Phoenix that they want her to see somebody about getting control of her powers. I love this reveal that it's Panya too. Yeah, but right before that, she's like. So if I'm sticking around, can I let Bruiser out? And then we see the dog. On the, I love this man. Yes. The dog just ripping the bed apart. Okay, it was so funny. So that one panel makes me hate Devin so much. And I'll bring it up later. Why when we see what the dog does later? And so Devon says, absolutely not. The dog stays in your room. We've had enough of an animal problem around here. And he knocks on the door. And then yeah, we reveal Panya. She's there with the pelican monkey and Ollie the cat. Yeah, welcome to the BPRD. Here's our ancient mummy. <laughs> With an animal her, hybrid. Yeah, her genetically modified animal hybrids. But they're all sweethearts. Don't yes, worry. sweet baby. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about that. Like, that's the... She's seen Abe, but this is like the very next thing that she sees pretty much after just people. Kate and Devon is yeah. Panya and this animal. Yeah, that's interesting. We cut to this basketball game letting out amongst all the bureau guys. Apparently this guy Peter sucks at basketball. <laughs> he was the um, and so this is this is the guy that was monitoring the body from Garden of Souls. Look at that one guy's shirt in the middle. BPRD fun run. Oh that's yeah. Great. That is amazing. I didn't notice that. that. What a great right? detail. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's amazing. We need. They have all their own academic, you know, uh, extracurricular activities. <laughs> I want yeah. some BPRD mm-hmm. gym shirts over here. This guy Peter, he runs up to Johan and he asks him why he hasn't been in the lab. Johan says he decided it wasn't a good expenditure of his time daydreaming like that. And Peter says he wants to show Johan something huge. We cut to the lab, and Johan looks at the body in the tube. Peter says that he found an article from the Journal of the American Medical Association. This is a peer-reviewed medical journal published 48 times a year by the American Medical Association. I like how Johan's got his arms crossed. Yeah, as so. he's looking at this thing. <laughs> he's like, all right, what's in here? What are you doing? This article that Peter found, it shows how Zinkel Industries have developed a drug compound that clinical trials show helps premature babies grow organs faster, which is what they would need to fix the small heart, eyes, and lungs in this body. And Peter's pretty proud of finding this, right? I like how Johan tries to kind of resist this. He's just standing there. There's a beat where he's just standing with his arms crossed and he right. leans over, he takes the mouse to like look at the article. Right. And- <laughs> Super good. I like what like what Peter says. He's like private sector brother every time. Every time, yeah, that's pretty good. He's pretty, yeah. he's pretty fan. But it's like such a cliche. So, thing. so, but I was thinking about this a little bit more because we kind of know what's going to happen, right? What this is leading to. So, was this like a, an elaborate trap? Like, let's put this journal article out there. We know that the bureau has yeah, this body. Like, it, absolutely. Is it is Zinko that smart? It goes or that deep. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, yeah, totally. I wouldn't put it past Marsden to plan all of that out. Right, and we he, see, yeah, we see a lot of that later on. Yeah, he may have had a plan B, but because um, he later he he tells the his field operative that woman that is there, Evelyn. Yeah, uh, he's like. Uh, did they buy the thing about how you tried right, to play right. cool? And we'll get to that. She's yeah. like, yeah, and I bet you that they're so desperate that they'll even let us take it out of here to our own facility right, instead yeah. of doing it here. Yeah, they they should kill that thing right there and then. Yeah, right. it's bad. 
private sector. Johan Unplug it. <laughs> right. In another part of the building, we see Jeroko, and it sounds like she's having to tell her partner that she's not coming home when she was supposed to. So they're having like a little fight about it. And we also see like she's got her hair cut and stuff like that from all the injuries that she got during the battle in the Long Death. It's probably starting to grow back after. Yeah. They probably had to cut it just to, you know, what they do when they're in a surgery. Right, yeah. But this whole conversation that she's having just makes me sad. Right. On on all fronts. And she says, Dr. Corrigan has asked her to clear her schedule. And Jeroko comes to meet with Kate. She's got her on a video call with Yosef. And he tells her that she is among the very best, certainly the bravest. And so, of course, that's alluding to what happened in The Long Death. Kate tells Jiroko that she was her first choice to head up the mission. Which is, Jiroko asks. Okay, so remember at the end of BPRD Russia, we saw those scientists that were monitoring that weird Ogdru dude. And then Yosef went and shot him in the head. And then they were like holding a secret meeting. And apparently they were involved with Vavara too. Because then when Yosef came into taunt Vavara at the end, he was like, oh, and I found all your friends or whatever. And so they were being possessed by the Ogdruhem. But then there was that one guy that didn't make it. Right. Yeah. So they were all waiting on him. And so now that guy's out there. He's in Scotland. Yeah. So his name is Dr. Lazar. He's escaped into Scotland. And the Russians can't get in there. But the BPRD is part of the UN. They can do it. Plus, they also have a field office in Scotland. So that sets up this whole mission for Jiroko. I like that she's getting to head a mission and she's kind of becoming a, a, a big player at the BPRD. And Yosef has to call the call short. He's held off his transfusion for too long as it is. And I love this moment between Kate and Jiroko when they get off the phone. Jiroko's like, wow, he's really? Kate's like, oh yeah, he sure is. And uh, transfusion? Yikes. Because they got to change right. out all the fluid in his suit and all that stuff. I kind of imagine it's probably something like some weird form of dialysis. Right, yeah. But, well, it yeah. probably gets gross in there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're refreshing the formaldehyde or something. Oh, right, yeah, there you go. But, gross. like, these creators, man, they're like Batman villains where they just have to drop little clues early on. Right. Uh, transfusion could very well be the theme for the entire arc. Oh, okay. Nice, I like that. Yeah, that sets up a lot for us. Kate tells Jeroko that there's been chatter on the internet about Scotland and the rise of the Messiah. She also tells Jeroko that this will be her mission since Johan is suspended. She'll have a co-captain. Kate says they'll talk more over dinner. So I like this, that Kate is kind of taking Jeroko to dinner and, you know, she's kind of, um, she's she's working her way up. You know, Jeroko's kind of becoming uh, a big player there. Do you think they're going to have dinner like in the um, the cafeteria? Right. Yeah. Probably. I mean, like they can get burgers and lobsters there, so <laughs> why go anywhere else? Why go anywhere else? Over at the SSS, Yosef sings and drinks vodka, and he sings. Guess what? It's sea shanty time. Sea shanty. Is <laughs> it a Russian sea shanty? It is. This time, it's the song of the Volga Boatman. All right. Known in Russia as Yo Heave Ho. This is my, this is my favorite segment of the show. <laughs> sea Shanty Time. It's a well-known traditional Russian song collected by Mili Balakirev and published in a book of folk songs in 1866. It was sung by barge haulers on the Volga River. Enjoy a sea shanty, people. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
I love that. And Yosef, he's drinking vodka, and he drunkenly addresses Vavara. No, he is not. He is not drinking that. I was about to say. The oh, same is he thing. not? <laughs> he's just acting drunk. No, you're right. You're absolutely it's hilarious. Right. Well, I was just wondering if, like, maybe, like, when they uh, did the transfusion, like the formaldehyde, the fresh stuff, made him a little tipsy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah he's look, he's full of beans from the transfusion. He's like a brighter shade of yellow. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Because yeah, he can't drink it, but he's he's got the vodka and he pours a shot in front of Vavara. I thought he was so funny for Vavara. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he says that he feels refreshed and whatever. I think it's yeah. Yeah, and so he pours it and he says, "A little water for my little snowball." I like to call it water. Yeah, great. He says, "Your friend Lazar, he escaped, but I think we will find him." Yes, all right. He looks to another lord now, but you still see him as an ally, wouldn't you say? And Vivara doesn't say anything. No, nothing. Quite all these years. But when we first met, you had so much to say. And we get a flashback of Vivara singing the Tetris song or whatever. And he's still got the string in his hands. Yeah, I like that little detail. This is a flashback to the Abyssal Plane. He says, you sang and you danced, remember? You stabbed my heart with threats to my wife. You knew you had me helpless, and so you danced. Ah, Father Time, look at the tricks he plays on us. Elsewhere in Scotland, we see this old castle. It looks like it has a newly dug moat around it, and the guys are putting these sharpened stakes. This is called, uh, I'm not sure how to say this. It's like a French word. It means Phrygian horses. Cheval de fleas. That's what this these wooden could be, spikes could be is. Flizze. Yeah. Oh, I always called them ramparts. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Thanks for that, Matt. <laughs> the woman Claire, she tries to enter, but Kenneth says she can't see him. He told us last night that today would be his first day. Kenneth says this is his first hour. We have our work to do. The master has his. And we cut to Lazar, and he's in front of this fire. He looks all crazed in his eyes, and he's cutting all these symbols into his body. Yeah, what the fuck? That's fucking crazy, yeah. Yeah, he's got a beard. Yeah, yes, good. yeah. thank you for pointing that out, too. He's He's got a beard, so when we saw him in that airport scene, he didn't have any facial hair, I, I don't think. That's, so, that's what you get out of this page? This guy is well, literally some... carving... <laughs> Fucking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the oh, sigils are oh, disturbing, but his facial hair. Um, time has passed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just and, give him reading glasses. I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, and I want to make a point later about uh, the use of time yeah. in these comics, especially in this uh, this series. Jeez. But you're right. Ultimately, this <laughs> is pretty disturbing stuff. <laughs> Jeez, man. I just say one of these. Look at the look at the cover blood. again. Take a nap. The cover to this first issue, it's subtle, but there is carnage all over it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You see the the blood on the doorstep and yeah. in the windows and. Mm-hmm. No, this guy is he's yeah, out there. you're right. Messed up. I just want to point out one of these sigils looks like a handbag. Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it's just like a coincidence, or my brain is just yeah. Creating it's definitely patterns. a coincidence for sure. I think it's like a letter or something. But it certainly looks like it kind of looks like the frog language or whatever. We see all these sigils being carved. Chapter two, we get an awesome cover by Ryan Sook. I like how he draws Yosef here. It looks very kind of ominous. We see Jeroka with the team. Just uh, Ryan Sook's work is always amazing. 
We open with Jiroko, and she's teaming up with the Scottish branch of the BPRD, and we see Sal Tasso. We last saw him on the Abe Sapien missions, the Abyssal Plane, and the Devil Does Not Jest. So he was a lot younger then. It looks like all this time he's been in Scotland. He apparently went on more missions with Hellboy and found that he got him into more trouble. He also tells Carla that he feels a little guilty for not staying with Abe. Maybe if he had been looking out for him, then maybe he wouldn't have been shot. So what if he was with Abe instead of Devon? Abe still may have gotten shot, but Phoenix wouldn't have gone away for sure. Right, yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. That made me think about that. It was kind of like, what would have happened if he had been there? And that's even when um, speculating that he would have made it that far in life, I mean, because they went through some fucking shit right right so if he was on that side of it maybe uh yeah you're absolutely right but i like this bottom panel here with a nice little throwback to he's like saying it's sal jesus what a guy got to do to get a girl calling by his first name yes referring what liz said to him when he would kept calling her sherman exactly yeah good catch there aubrey so i like that little callback so he took that line from her yeah, and it obviously he took it to heart, too. Yeah. Because this is like, what, 20, 30 years later? Right, exactly. And he's all like, yeah, okay. As they hike up this mountain with the other BPRD members, they encounter this ghost. It's this guy. He's all tied up with these ropes, and he's lamenting about his boy and his wife and how they don't have him anymore. So this scene, it starts off just very kind of spooky, but then it starts to really get out of hand, this ghost thing starts getting more enraged and all this kind of stuff sal's like looking for something in his backpack and this ghost thing it starts whipping all the agents with these ropes and so sal gets hit with one of those and it spills the contents of his backpack all over the monster just becomes more crazed and he transforms into this tentacle face creature i really love this good. it kind of reminds me of uh wasn't there a guy in one of those pirates of the caribbean that kind of looked like this he had like the oh right the tentacle the, beard or something like I, that jeffrey the, rush i think was that guy that's what it no, reminded no, me no, of no, it was the uh, guy in the second movie oh um, yeah i'm wrong i like this guy's this ghost uh, when he's talking in runes all of a sudden right he gets so worked up that yeah. he has to start talking in runes <laughs> he, he can't uh, conform to the english language anymore honestly i feel that and i love the pacing of this scene too because we see a shot of all the contents of the backpack and we see this like charm in there it's got like a flat piece and then like a rock that's tied to it and then when we see it again it's not there and there's like a little shape where the hand kind of took it out of the dirt i just really love those little details as all this battle is going on with this monster it's very frantic and you get the idea that sal's just trying to reach for this charm and find time to get it he finally grabs it and he goes game over scumbag and he kind of starts whirling it around and then i guess he cracks the stone onto the flat piece and it creates this like shockwave this red light and it kind of makes that ghost thing disappear but I really love this effect, and I really like this idea that this one little charm is what you need to get yeah. rid of something like this. Well, and that Hellboy gave it to him, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Our, the very Hellboy first has... time we meet Hellboy, he's got all these... Exactly. Charms he's using and... these charms and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just it kind of like reminded me of that time... Um... What was that one where he just threw the charm like right at the monster's head? And went... <laughs> <laughs> went in his eye socket. Yeah. yeah. That was in the Chapel of Moloch. Yeah. That was yeah. a good one. Yeah. But I just really love this scene. I like Sal getting kind of this hero moment where he knows how to use all this stuff. He says, you just need to find the right charm for hauntings. And this one's a doozy. Hellboy gave it to him as a going away gift when he heard I was headed back to Scotland. Much trouble as he got me into, got me out of lots more, Sal says. But it also seems like they lost an agent as well. 
we go back to the base in Colorado and we see Evelyn from Zinko and she's inspecting the body that was created by the Oan Society. Evelyn says she's not sure the body is good to test their drug and Peter keeps jumping in and countering all her claims. Kate finally has to tell him to shut up or leave and he's like, sorry, sorry, I shut up. Evelyn questions, all of this for one agent? There's no wider application for the project. Kate says, but this one agent... He's been vital to the success of the Bureau for quite a few years. Really, I'd hate to think about where we'd be without him. And the way things are in the world now, we, the UN, everybody, we're looking for whatever edge we can get, right? And so Evelyn agrees. Thank you again, Doctor. We'll talk in the morning. And so I love this scene. This is so funny. So Kate starts getting mad at Peter. She was like, the whole reason why I asked Johan to not come was to keep emotions out of the conversation. And Peter's like, I said I was sorry. And then here's Johan right around the corner. It did not go well. And Kate's expression is she's like, Urgh. So, yeah. <laughs> She's so mad. It's so funny. I just really love the pacing of this whole page. I love that expression in her face, too. It's just like, you know, like I've seen that expression, and I've also felt that expression. You know, it's just like, God damn it. She seems like she's like the only one trying to keep it together over yeah. here, man. And she's just like in charge of all these little fucking kids. Yeah. But in her thing about emotion proves to be, you know, like that was the right plan. And, I, you know, it's frustrating that all these people aren't, aren't uh, behaving themselves because that would have been the way to play it. Right. To answer Johan's questions, Kate says, I think it went fine, though. She almost talked me out of it. I kept thinking in there about what you did in Canada and how this seemed like rewarding your bad behavior. But you saved a lot of lives with that other body. That was huge. And now with Ben dead, this just seems right. And Johan says, thank you, Catherine, I promise. She says, don't, Johan, don't promise anything. We've continually yeah. had these really great character beats with Kate and Johan. They really, She really has like this love-hate relationship with him. I just really love how aggravated she gets by him. I also love, uh, makes me think of that scene where Johan's getting mad at Ponya in front of Kate. And it kind of, I just love whenever they interact. The character beats throughout like, the entire series has just been like, one of the main draws right. of the story to me. So, yeah, I'm totally on board with that statement. Over on the other side of it was Zinko. It seems like Evelyn was doing the all, I'm going to act like I'm not interested, but I'm really interested. She says to Marsden on a video call that the body was perfect. She doubts it will take much coaxing. So, like, yeah, Danielle, you were talking about this, how it was just all a ruse. And when we cut over to Marsden's end of it, He's gotten rid of all that memorabilia, but he still has yeah. the Project Ragnarok Gigantic, thing yes. and the Nazi flag. So it's kind of like, um, that's kind of maybe the it's first like thing major, that you should have gotten yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe it's just hasn't unboxed up yet because you see there are still boxes. Fuck it. No, he We're should get rid of that shit. Fuck <laughs> that shit. It should have been burned no. with fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take your time on something like that. And he says, the master is going to be impressed, I'm sure. Over at the bureau... Phoenix listens to music and reads. Panya knocks on the door and the freaks out Bruiser. Face. Yeah. Oh my god. The fucking expression on this dog's face. Panya says, it's time for a training session. Past time, actually. Look at this baby that Panya has. Oh yeah, the little pelican monkey. Marbles, as you've Marbles. affectionately named him. Yeah. <laughs> In Panya's room... She tries to guide Phoenix, but Phoenix too focused on how deep underground the elevator went. And we get some truly creepy work by Tyler Crook in Phoenix's mind. Well, we saw also, some... I wonder how much of this is Dave Stewart. 
Yeah, yeah. And what well, we saw an effect similar to this also in BPRD Gods when that monster passed through the reality to get in that woman's womb. Yeah. Right. Remember? remember? Yeah. Like it seems like, you know, you would go in here and invert the lair. Right. Kind of a deal. Panya says the images are just Phoenix's feelings given form, only possibilities, not real. And then we get this fantastic double Amazing. splash page. Panya says that through her breathing, Phoenix will be able to see a sharper vision of the probable. And here Phoenix is like struggling and crying in the real world. And in her mind, she's in this horrible hellscape. You want to describe this a little bit? What, wonder, what are some of the that, crazy things you see in here? Is that Panya seeing that? I think it's Phoenix I, seeing it. Because why think is her hair like that? I think that's Phoenix's mother. Oh. oh. that That's my guess. She talked about her mom earlier, right? Right, yeah. Who else would it be? Panya. Because I, I don't think it's Phoenix. Oh, do you think that's Panya? I think it's Panya. But then, but then, oh. looks too much. Her face looks too much like Phoenix's. But though. then, when Panya says, "Let me take over," it's a different face. Oh. So. I have no idea. But we well, see. Well, this is New York City, right? Yeah. Chrysler Building back there. Well, and yeah. the the hordes of people are horrifying. The looks on their faces—they're all like naked and scared. Right. It's, it's basically hell, right? Like they're trying to do hell. We see one of those bat face creatures, and then we see, like, it looks like Abe. Horrible. Right? And so she shot Abe, so I wonder if this is part of, sure, you know, right. is playing into her image. The on fire yeah. horse skull. Just a good, creepy look. Good, creepy addition there. Yeah, I don't know, because we have seen, you know, we have seen Ponya when she goes into, like, Liz's mind. She kind of has a form that kind of looks like this. I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. It becomes so intense that Ponya says that she'll take over. And Phoenix just totally freaks out. Yeah. She curses Ponya out. And she you tells crazy her... crazy old fucking witch. Yeah, she says, stay out of my fucking head. And I love Ponya's response to this. It's like, watch your fucking mouth, dude. <laughs> hey, she calls I love her the child. way you guys read the Grolixes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah. I, I I can't not. I guess it just I, my mind. That's how it. That's where it goes for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Same here. Although sometimes, like I notice that you and I, uh, John, you and I will pick out different uh, curse words. Oh, oh yeah, sure. really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how Panya. I like how Panya's like, watch your mouth. Yeah. Child. She says, "I'm just trying to teach you to harness yeah. your talent." She, but she doesn't. She's never been the one. That's what I like about her is that she's not. She's not going to take extreme rudeness lying down right yeah. she's gonna be like hey you're being very fucking rude why don't you shut your damn mouth like i you know what i mean i dig that but phoenix is on a tear fuck you okay fuck you and your fucking teaching yeah. i don't give a shit i'm 16 and i'm mad right i'm gonna yell and i'm scared of everything and i'm making poor decisions left and right that's exactly what I thought, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm She's 16. I'm making the worst decisions of all time. She says that she came here voluntarily, but nobody said anything about brainwashing. Nobody said shit about it, John. Mm. You know, there's a huge generation gap between these two. Yeah, sure, <laughs> I, yeah. On on the one hand, <laughs> Phoenix just had, like, she's gone from feelings to seeing a vision of hell on her. Yeah, right. of course. And, and then Panya who's seen it all is uh why don't you maybe a little chill. too dismissive she should probably just be like okay yeah well you know i'll just tell you ahead of time you might see some crazy shit right, might yeah. freak you out right sure. <laughs> yeah because we never we've never seen her train anybody true yeah 
It almost makes... Well, I mean, didn't she try to help Liz? Um, oh, yeah. No, you're her? right. She did help Liz a little she's, bit. Yeah. She's the she's the master. She's the master kung fu okay. lady. Yeah. Sensei. Sensei. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> she's a sensei. It also makes me wonder how Phoenix would react if Liz were around. Like, would Liz be able to... Because Liz like, joined up with Bureau when she was 16. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. So, I mean, she could probably be like, hey, you know... Don't listen to ancient mummy lady. You know it's it's pretty cool here, mm. kind of thing. But then again, she might resent. Well, I don't think too. I don't think Panya's doing anything. That... Oh no no no! I'm not saying. I'm saying she might try to empathize oh, with um, right. Phoenix. Try to get right. her, sure. get her to kind of like. Hey. Wait, Liz would. I think she would. I don't know. Liz well, seems, I mean, I mean, I think like Liz would be more with Panya. Like, yeah, what's this brat talking about? She's mm. just she needs to know. chill the fuck out. I, I don't know. Just because that's how Liz was when she was around sixteen. Oh yeah, that's remember true. how that uh, adventure she went on with that the is professor. True. Yeah, yeah. But Liz is such a tough cookie. I don't know how well she'd be able to. I feel like she'd just be lighting cigarettes. Like, yeah, well, them's the breaks, kid. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody could help her, it'd be Hellboy. But yeah. he's dead. well. I mean, but would <laughs> but would she accept his help because she shot Abe? But that's what I'm saying is he would have. He would be the one who would have the patience and the calm hmm. calmness. Okay, too. Yeah. he's the one who always does that with everybody. Sure, he did it with uh, uh, Abe and Liz. But he's not fucking here. Right. And yeah. That's what's, you know, anyway. Over in Yosef's office, he continues to taunt Vivara in the jar, and he shows her where the team is. Are they getting any closer to your friend, Dr. Lazar? He asks her. Ah, oh, little one, I know, I know. I left you alone for so long. Ten whole days, and I do feel bad about that. This is why I brought pictures. So you see how busy I was, but also that I was thinking of you, always of you, and your friends. They are marching, marching across Scotland, Snowflake. And they will find Lazar, I think. The BPRD, they are very good at their jobs, and I think they will find him. But what will they find? He is such a little man, a nobody... But our intelligence suggests that he's gathering a following there, somewhere in Scotland. I wonder who they think he is. I wonder who he thinks he is. Tell me, Snowflake, who do you think he is? I really like this scene with Yosef. Oh, he's just taunting her. Yeah, yeah he really is. He's going to get it. Yeah, he's asking for it. Over at Lazar's Fortress. Just a quick pause. Oh, go ahead. Uh, for the art. So hard to draw rain and make it look like oh we've seen so many want. yeah different yeah. versions of that and i like so that thank you for pointing that out there, yeah there's so many different ways to draw a rainy scene a story, you know what i mean and there's so many different ways you could do it and and the way that each artist gets the rain across in yeah. their style i mean is always fascinating to me and of course dave stewart has a lot to do with this as well but it's just a very i'm always in awe of someone who can make a rainy scene actually yeah. look like that and have it not impact the art in a negative way and have it not be obtrusive Right. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to show my appreciation for that. Yeah, and we also do see that the fortress is more like put together or whatever. They have like watchtowers up. The moat, yeah. Moat's getting a little uh, bigger with the bridge. Right. In uh, fact, I'm sure Dave Stewart had to, a lot to do with this. Yeah. Anyway, please continue. Sorry. And uh, these two, they say that they're preparing for assassins and question if anyone will even come. And suddenly this snake comes up and just as, as one of them is about to kill it, Lazar appears, he catches the shovel, and he's carved himself all up with that frog language stuff. Yeah, man. It reminded me of how the frogs would carve all that stuff into the... Like, we saw them all underground using trash to, like, carve it into the walls of Look the sewer him, and everything. Geez. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> he's also dressed kind of like Jesus. Well, he's, right. dressed, he's dressed like the Anglo-white people version oh, of that's Jesus. Oh, that's yeah. what I meant. That's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> the very Americanized 
white Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. That's mostly European <laughs> that Americans kept. And Lazar says the snake is not an assassin, is weapon. And he gestures towards it, and it turns like all evil and Into cool. Like a weird, yeah. yeah. Well, little dog snake. For a second, it looked like he bit his arm, but I guess it just, he just. He has little turned in. crab legs. And yeah, like and weird... it kind of like crawls up him and gets around his neck, so now it's like his little pal or whatever. That's great. He tells his followers. Hold no fear, no killing. Today is life. We are life. I like his little drooly mouth. Yeah. Sorry. And then so they're like, yeah, life. And he's like, but prepare for tomorrow. So it's like today we're life and tomorrow is going to be something else. Yeah, I don't... Over at the bureau, we see the body being transported to Zinko. Yeah, they're Nazis though. So yeah. What? And Marsden is shaking Johan's hand. And then in the plane, Marsden's telling Evelyn that Johan said, it's a special thing you're doing, Dr. Marsden. I just can't tell you how important this is for me. Can I express my frustration with you, yes, dumb idiot? Yes, it's so frustrating to watch this scene. You know what's happening. God, Johan. And Evelyn says, what did you say? The truth, of course, Marsden says. I told him it was much more important to us. See you soon, Evelyn. And oh, so, they just screwed up. Yeah, they really. Really. I mean, that is a huge mistake that they just made. But the question is, do they really know that Zinko is pure evil? Well, the BPRD got supplies from Zinko in the past, so they yeah. don't I, I, they don't have that connection. So, I mean, I mean, granted, they're dumb to give it up no matter what, even if they are like, you well, know. No, but also the hubris of Johan being like, oh, yeah, no, I no, learned no, my saying. lesson. Just kidding. I never will learn my lesson. <laughs> it's so fresh. Well, it's not just him. I mean, it's the whole bureau is letting them take the body. And so this is issue 100 here, Return of the Master Chapter 3, and it's got a great cover oh, by this, Ryan Suck. Oh, this Ryan Suck cover is amazing. I mean, that's definitely Rasputin. Yeah, it definitely looks like him. We open on the Ogdru Jihad, and we hear Cronin retelling Rasputin's story, how he was killed, how he heard the Ogdru Jihad, how he started Project Ragnarok, and now his spirit is in the bosom of the serpent. And we get this flashback to Rasputin. He's telling Cronin, Kurtz, and Ilsa that they will need to create a new body for him to return to. I like how when we see the young Juju hand, uh, Crystal Gem, you can definitely see that it's starting to leak out since the crack. And oh, the, right. Uh, yeah. Since the destruction. Yeah, and uh, thank you for pointing that out. Tyler Crick does an awesome job of doing this Ogdra Jihad. I, I love uh, these weird cosmic shots. Every time I see the Ogdra Jihad, I think about that rock I gave you that looks just like it. Yeah, you did give me a rock that it looks like... like uh Aragonite, or I can't remember the name of the stone. Yeah. It's an orange stone that looks exactly like this, and I think it's I think it is Aragonite. Okay, is what it's called. I can't remember. Whatever. That's the nerdiest thing. Just keep going. <laughs> Just don't don't let any ancient Russian uh, priest uh, start chanting. Language. Well, it's right. actually very <laughs> tiny. It's super small, so it's actually not. The, it's about uh, the but size we, of a. We've seen them grow really big. Yeah, <laughs> I mean those little frog tadpoles turn into those big giant. Fat... It's like the size of a small orange, so it would be hey. like a tiny head just on your desk hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> Rasputin tells them in the flashback there will be a sign and you will know it's time Marsden also reveals that Zinko has found the Ogdra Jihad in space so I thought that was crazy yeah, it's like on the monitor behind the them shit? he's like oh we've located it what so that is fucking really messed up that's fucking messed up <laughs> once they isolate an energy signature they will pull him back Cronin is unsure about outsourcing this part of the process. I always thought that it existed in kind of like a 
extra dimensional right. space like it was kind no of apparently it's just out there in the cosmos like, what the fuck just floating i thought it was kind of an alternate <laughs> d- dimensional space kind of like a right. doctor strange type of deal but anyway is this frog monster hooked up to the thing that has the monitor? Oh, it is. You're absolutely right, Aubrey. So they're using some that's sort of... That's how they found the thing. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking, too. Wow, wow Aubrey, good, good job. Yeah. I love that detail. That's so awesome. So somehow they're using that kind of... Consci- they're on that wavelength or whatever to find it. I think that's mean, though. But whatever. To the frog. Yeah. To the frog. I, like, yeah, oh, yeah, I just no, no, remember no. when they were asking for a mouse. Well, I mean, they're Nazis. I know <laughs> it's terrible. Not the frogs. I mean, no, well, the but frogs yeah. are monsters. But... but the frogs don't know any better. They just want a mouse to eat. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hawks and snakes eat mice. That's the circle of of uh, life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Cronin, he talks about uh, not being sure about outsourcing this part of the process. And Marsden says they didn't have the equipment they needed. No reflection on your abilities. And we're on a timetable, aren't we? He tells them that his techs will start training them how to operate the new apparatuses. And then he walks away. And Cronin doesn't like this at all. Kurt says they should focus on the master returning, but Cronin's like, when he returns, he'll know we didn't have anything to do with it. Cronin says they didn't have time to fabricate a new body, and now they can't be trusted to find his soul. It's possible somebody else will find Rasputin's soul before they do. And then we cut immediately to Lazar. Oh, God. Right? So, Jeez. Yeah. God. These two characters, it's just so, their interactions are just kind of so weird and petty where he's like, well, he's going to know that we didn't do anything. It's just that whole, I don't know, yeah. there's something about that. I remember when I was reading that, I was just like, what does that have to do with anything, jackass? <laughs> Not that we're on their side or no, anything, but, but it's just... Uh, I was anyways, reacting to this bumbling. guy's fucking eyes balls. Or lack thereof the now. Page. It's very... Yeah, so when we cut over to Lazar, he's got all this weird dark cosmos stuff in his eyes. Well, and his eyes are just like gigantic, like horrible... Yeah, it's whatever, the curvy crackle in there. He's also... His facial hair is more grown out, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and their castle looks more fortified, too. Right. Out with Jeroko and Sal Tasso's team, they fight this crazy horde of wildlife mutated monsters. I love this reveal where you just cut over and you just see like all these monsters just coming out. It is so grotesque the way that Tyler Crooks draws these things. Um, so these guys referenced working with Hellboy early on. Right. And they referenced working with Abe and uh, Aubrey made that connection between sal and liz and the first and last name thing these agents have gone from supporting like being backup for the enhanced talent division right and now they're they're out there on their own they don't have any super powered people with them exactly yeah the first time we met jiroko was a photo of her court right yeah King of fear that's right and so you know that's a heck of a way to be introduced to a new right. character yes <laughs> we know that but, uh yeah so, like, who knows what that means? But since then, she has become formidable. Oh, yeah. Uh, and a genuine soldier, right? Like, she's a badass. So, I just love the fact that seemingly weak humans are carrying the weight here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, while while Johan, once again, is uh, <laughs> self-centered back at headquarters. Sure. Uh, shaking, shaking hands with Marsden, yeah. Out. Right, yeah. So, you know, who knows where Hellboy is? Abe's out of commission. Who knows where Liz is? But these guys are just fighting the good fight. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and Jiroko has this awesome moment on the next page. This thing jumps at her and she just blasts it midair and it like falls in front of her. And Tasso, he says, Lady, you don't you do not scare easy, do you? And then immediately this thing like jumps on his head. It's so messed up, all the action here. And then so he gets a really cool moment. He shoots it as it's carrying him up, and then they both kind of drop together. They ask him if he's okay, and he says, Yeah, I'll manage. And he jokes about what do these things taste like? We haven't gotten like any kind of. I'm surprised that uh, we hadn't got a reference to that earlier. Someone talking about cooking these things. What do you think they taste like, Aubrey? Sadness in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Jiroko says Lazar might be getting nervous as the attacks on them are escalating. We cut back to the bureau and we see Phoenix. She's sitting in the cafeteria. She's all by herself on a table by herself. And she's just staring at her food solemnly. Devon comes up and he's like, hey, haven't seen you in days. How are you settling in? Pouting because you were being a brat is right, a very yeah. teenager thing to do. She also makes a good point. She's like, I'm 16, man. Everybody else here is like 40. Do the math. And he's like, I'm 29. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be 40 to a 16-year-old. Right. Yeah. And so he asks about Bruiser and she says, he's locked up in my room, okay? And then we cut to Bruiser leaving the room. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out of the three of them, Bruiser is the one I like the most. Right. <laughs> and Phoenix, oh, I don't dislike her, but she is a little, I mean, she's a teenager, so I have to right. give her a grain of salt. But Devin, he's, no. Mm-mm. Phoenix says that nobody talks to her, nobody likes her. They all talk to her like she's a kid. And she thought Ponyo was a straight up bitch. And Devin says, Ponyo, well, her job was to help you better understand the premonitory feelings you have. That's bound to be uncomfortable. She says, that saving the world crap, that all sounds great, but I fucking hate it in this place. And so Johan comes up and he's like, you were expecting something more like Burning Man, yes? Serving your fellow man is not meant to be a party, I don't believe. It requires sacrifice. Do you know how many years I've lived inside this bag? Devon here and Dr. Corrigan, they're unable to maintain any sort of intimate relationships. And Devon's like, well, that's not totally accurate. (laughs) That old lady hasn't walked for over a century, Johan says, but she didn't complain to you about that, did she? Nobody came here to have fun, except you, apparently. And Phoenix is like, no, man, that ain't it at all. (laughs) I like, yeah. (laughs) Johan basically just walks up and is like, actually, I believe you are the one who is a straight up bitch. (laughs) And she's like, nah, man, nah. She's like, no, go eat some ghost beef or whatever. I love that. He's like, who can understand why you'd have trouble fitting in? Dang. Yeah, that was a pretty sick burn. And Devon's like, he does have a point. She's like, I know, I know, he's got a point. Absolutely owning teenagers. Good job, Johan. Yeah, and so Phoenix, she says, I just keep getting this feeling that none of this even matters. That's a telling comment. And we cut over to Johan, and he's singing a song. This is a folk song called... So I can't really, I I don't really know how to say it, but the translation is, a kiss is a cute thing. And this is another folk song. I believe it's a German folk song, and I'll I'll post a clip of that as well. I looked up the translation of what he's saying here. Oh, you did? Okay, perfect. Yeah. says, uh, if we trust Google. uh, (laughs) I've done the same thing. It says, and what a writer can write well in 10,000 hours. Ah, okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that specific lyric. I just typed the whole thing into Google and it fa- it was able to find the song. Very cool. Very cool. He's walking around singing the way 
Yosef was. Oh yeah, that's true. It's a weird parallel. No, you're absolutely right. And they're—I mean—they're obviously both wearing the same costume. And as Johan walks through the hall, he makes a horrific discovery. So we see poor Marbles is bleeding on the ground. No. Okay, so. It makes me so sad. The sweet baby. You know, you can hurt, like, any person in a story, but, like, hurting animals to me is absolutely right. ridiculous. That's a hard one. That's unforgivable. Over with Lazar. A woman tries to talk to him, but he's unresponsive. And this other guy that's there, he says that Lazar's not there. Do you recognize where he is in this vision or whatever? So, yeah, I mean, we're going to reveal, but this is, I want to say this is almost uh, exact, a picture of one of Figredo's uh, battlefields from the Wild Hunt, or from the Storm of the Fury. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look at his eyes. Yeah, and so, like, he's being transported to this place, Vigrid, the battle where the army of the dark saw its slaughter. Oh, right. Now I recognize that. Yeah. I missed that the first time we, we talked about Vigrid a little bit in those episodes. In Norse mythology, it's a large field foretold to host the battle between the forces of gods and the forces of Suter as part of the events of Ragnarok. And Lazar appears there. And he uses some dark magic to bring some of these beans back to life. So he's speaking in Russian, but look at the editor's note at the bottom. Translated from the Russian. Oh, okay. On ours, it just says translated from Russian. Oh, okay. So in the single issue, it says from the Russian. Oh, wow. I wonder now if that was a typo or if they were trying to be funny. Yeah, that's interesting because that's kind of like maybe a little bit of a foreshadowing or something like that. Maybe like a little bit of a clue. And maybe they took it out for the omnibus version. That's interesting. Wow. Huh. I like when he's waving his hands and you see the sigil and the smoke. Right. He starts doing some dark magic and very cool effect by Tyler Crook. Just like Danielle said, we see this smoke with all those symbols in it. He's doing it in front of one of these dead giants. And so we see the giant grip his weapon. Over at Zinko Labs, they examine the body and they go over its stats. And the body starts to come alive in the tube. It like thrashes around. It's drowning. Suddenly it smashes through. I really like this effect of it kind of, it's very jarring and unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. And gross. Yes. (laughs) And so, yeah, we see it smash through the tube and Kurtz and Cronin are looking at it. Over with the agents... Tasso mentions Gordon Mance. And so I was trying to see if that's an actual place. Now, Gordon is like an area in Scotland. And then Mance just means like a clergy house. So anyway, Jiroko mentions they haven't been attacked in days. Here comes the zombie giant. Yeah, but so, uh, so, uh, but a lot of days have passed, I guess, that they've been out there since that last one. Right. We were kind of talking about the passage of time. So that little comment there, I was like, um, so it's been a while since that last attack. And then, yeah, this giant that we saw come to life, it comes out. He's here to chop. Yeah, and it crushes one of these guys stepping on him. One of the agents calls for the high explosive rounds. And we get some really gruesome imagery by Crook as this half-destroyed giant 
axes one of the agents. I really like all this action by Crook. This thing is mostly blown up, but it's still grunting. All this is really crazy. Tasso calls for everyone to fall back, and he throws a grenade at it. And I just love this, like, it's just like the head of it. It's still, like, squirming on or whatever. (laughs) What the hell does it take to kill this thing, Tasso asks. I'd say we're going to get a lot of practice figuring that out, Jiroko says, and we reveal there's a whole horde of these monsters coming at them, so they look totally outnumbered, these poor guys, yeah. But like you were saying, Matt, these are like some of the best crew, I guess, yeah. They've seen a lot of conflict. And you're like, oh shit, it's going to get real now. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of all that shit like um, on the Black Goddess. There was that crazy battle going on outside. Like As I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, we're going to get something crazy like that. I'm super pumped. Chapter 4, another great cover by Ryan Sook. I like how he draws Kurtz and Cronin. I like how he draws the Ogju Jihad. Yeah, and so we see the helmet that's on the body, and it kind of reminds me of the Ogju Jihad. It's kind of got oh, that. Yeah, it's, it's kind like of a parallel. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The that's way what that it, artists do. That's what it made me think of. We open at the Colorado Base Infirmary, and the Pelican Monkey Marbles is oh. being treated. Oh. Panya's pretty upset. Sweet baby. And Kate says, we don't want to overreact. Uh, (laughs) That's the rudest thing you could possibly say. Right. To somebody who's worried about their sweet baby. Kate says she wants to talk to Phoenix. But Devon says she's gone. You have to figure a girl who can sense the future. Yeah, Kate says. She loves her dog. If she thought for a second we would hurt him. Great. Just great. Okay, so hold on a second. (laughs) The whole treatment of Devin treating the treating her dog that way is part of the reason why I don't like him. Because you see when, like, the first time we see Bruiser in the story, he's in the room and he's destroying the, um... Right. I guess the second time we've seen him. And that's because the dog doesn't have an outlet. And when dogs don't have outlets, they get destructive. Right. Um... If she would have just been able to take him out, hell, if you'd just been walking around with her, it would have been better. But she, has, you know, dogs have energy; they need to be burned off. Otherwise... Yeah, I'm not saying it's the dog's fault. No, 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 yeah. no, I'm not saying that. But that's the whole reason when the dog got out. Yeah, it attacked right. that thing. He's all uh, freaking the, out. It attacked marbles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, I don't blame the dog at all. I just, sure. I just, it's just another reason I just don't like Devin. Right, yeah. because he very, he yeah. would, he didn't let her take the dog out. He's a very she asked him earlier. Yeah, he's yeah. a very self-centered guy and we cut to phoenix and bruiser we see them trekking through the snow i hope that's morning because they're seven thousand feet up in the colorado yeah, rockies dude. yeah so <laughs> and she you know you 16. and your dog have a long way to go yeah yeah and we see we can barely see the base in the background so they've been going away she doesn't have much on that pack there like yeah. where are your blankets yeah they're right at the tree line i would say maybe they're two or three hours with a hiking good. trail right so there is no hiking trail. Anyway, it's just a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt, we have to scrutinize every detail. Well, there was a there was a moment, I think it was Garden of Souls, where, oh yeah, it was the scene where Abe and Liz are at Roger's grave, and he says, I don't think we're going to get any body snatchers up here at 3,000 feet right. above sea level. <laughs> and I was like, I wrote in and said, I live at 5,000 feet above sea level in colorado these guys are not at three thousand feet they're way higher yeah oh and, and they changed it to i think seven thousand in the trade oh. wow but yeah talk about scrutinizing over <laughs> no that's great good job that's i excellent. love that thank you for sharing that that dog's gonna get frostbit toes do you really think that Devin has agents looking out for looking for her because i get 
the impression that he might be lying. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah so he's, he's a kind of liar. he's kind of been in cahoots with her a little bit. Good point, Aubrey. Over at Zinko Lab, Kurtz and Cronin have subdued the giant body and secured it. They got it strapped down on this gurney and it's got this headpiece. Like I mentioned, it kind of resembles the Ogre Jihad to me. Kurtz says he's isolated the human soul of Rasputin. And we see it on the monitor. We see like this little thing he's pointing to it. This (laughs) This is what the Master saved us for. Pulled us from that explosion in Norway. All for this. Finally, we get some explanation, however vague, into why Kurtz and Cronin are here. (laughs) Even though Kurtz was actually stabbed by Cronin and seemingly killed before they blew up, but I'll take this one panel as suffice. What did you think about that, Matt? About the explosion? Well, the explanation, because I was wondering, why. how are they back? Because uh, before they blew up, Cronin stabbed Kurtz, and then he was like, what have he I done? Him. He killed him, yeah. yeah. And then shortly thereafter, they all blew up, and uh, they all blew up when, Zin- when Zinko was blinded, and then he touched that button. And then so... Here, it kind of says that the explanation is they were pulled by Rasputin from the explosion. and But Kurtz was already dead. I don't know. Again, it's just a comic book, but this is one of those little details yeah. that I feel like fell by the wayside a little bit, you know? Well, and how how much time has passed since that castle blew up? I mean, how are either one of them... I mean, we can't see past his mask, but... Right. Cronin looks young and able. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think there's some mystical stuff going on here. It's just not healthy for anybody. Right. <laughs> so when he's pointing at the uh, human soul and the Rasputin and all that, I really did have a thought. But I know it gets answered later. But I was, my thought was, don't we already know that Rasputin's soul is in the acorn that uh, Baba Yaga dropped? Oh, well, that was the last shred of his soul. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the last piece of it. They've managed to yeah. reconstitute it somehow. But I think maybe no, no, that's. No, but, I, I, I think maybe. But if, no, I mean, my my question gets answered later. Oh, okay. But, but, oh. I, but that's the first thing I thought of was just like, oh. you know, we're going to have like two Rasputins or Well, <laughs> if you, to really go down that rabbit hole, I can't help myself. I think that maybe that was the last shred of. In the acorn was the last shred of his physical soul, like on the plane. Okay. And like the rest of it is with the Ogdrish ahead. Like if you say like five percent is that little shred, okay. that ninety five percent of to it is in is in the void. Be in a physical plane, but yeah, in this well, particular I mean, dimensional. Yeah, well, in the Baba Yaga's world, she's yeah. in that kind of elsewhere, thrice nine lands right. in the thrice tenth Ex- kingdom exactly. or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. Never. <laughs> Kurt says. Nobody got to him before they did, as Cronin was worried about. But Cronin says he's not worried about that anymore. The end is all that matters. I see that now, he says. I'm only part of something bigger, and whatever part I play is sufficient for me. You should call Harry Marsden, he says. We're ready. And we cut over to this madness that is the BPRD team of Tasso and Jiroko's forces fighting this horde of monster giants. They're like just spearing this dude. Like the spears are the size of the guy. You know what I mean? It's so awesome. Yeah. They're just skewering these guys. Jiroko yells over to Tasso. Jesus, look at them all. I don't see any guns, but if they have any. No, Tasso says. That's not how this magic crap works. It's from another time. And so are their weapons. But that won't make it any easier. Come on, you Middle Earth motherfuckers. Come and get it. (laughs) And he shoots this one guy in the head. And, you know, it's just a quick little shot there. But that kind of looks like the Black Flame to me. 
And that little, it's kind of like, I don't know if that's a piece of foreshadowing or what, but that one little shot right there. I think it's because it looks cool. It it, it does look cool, yeah. But it kind of reminded me of that, too, with the spikes and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like how you keep calling him Agent Tasso when he was like, call me Sal. Oh, yeah, right? (laughs) I like that Dave Stewart put a bunch of rust on all these blades. He just said that they were from another time, yeah. So, that yeah, he shot this guy's head off. Just as his agent is celebrating, he still is wielding that giant mace, even though he doesn't have a head. That's pretty good. Told you not to get cocky, Sal says, and you're wasting ammo on these goons. That's our target, and he points to Lazar's fortress. We cut to Lazar's fortress, and we see one of these guys. He's like, they're here. What should we do? And Lazar says, exactly what you are doing. What we're doing is dying, Master. So keep dying, Lazar says. And they shoot this rocket over at it. We see right after he says, so keep dying, this dude dies. Like right after that, the the rocket hits their base and, and it crushes this guy under all the debris. And Sal's pretty happy that it was a hit. Let's go, let's go. This ain't over yet, kids. So they start making it towards the fortress. We cut back over to the Colorado base, and Kate is watching Abe in his tube. Abe, I swear to God, I wish you were here, she says. And Johan comes in. Excuse me, Catherine? Oh, hi, Johan. Thought you'd left. We're waiting on clearance from Denver. The Texas volcano tossed up more ash this morning, Johan says. Hold on, Catherine, Kate says. You haven't called me that in years. Ah, nervousness, I suppose. I'm very grateful for the trust you're putting in me. Grateful and surprised, Johan says. After how I acted in Canada, my suspension from duty was the right thing to do. But then you approved Zinko's development of the clone. And now, only a week later, you are sending me out again. That means a great deal to me. Lehan's crew has already gone missing. I'd be a fool to send anyone less than my most experienced team leader after them, Kate says. And so Lehan's crew, do you remember who they are? That's uh, Howard's. Oh, right. That's oh, Howard's right. crew, yeah. Right, right. And Lehan yeah, yeah. was one of those agents. So, you know, they all Chicago. died there. Yeah, they all died there. And then Howard's is just left with the sword. So they've totally gone missing. Kate doesn't know what's happened with them. So we kind of like how we tie that up there. Certainly that's logical, Johan says. But Carla's assessment of me was rather unforgiving. So, yeah, she remember she said she was going to write him up. Carla's in Scotland. Her assessments, even if they're accurate are less important than our men and women. This job, this life, it doesn't really allow for friends, Kate says. You see people's weaknesses right away, and once your trust falters, but you, you're not going to let me down again, Johan. I know you won't. And she just kind of walks away. She doesn't even she doesn't even look at him when she says it. She just kind of walks away with her head down, and he says, no, I won't. We close on Abe. Yeah, so again, these character moments between Johan and Kate, I think, are always so well done. And this is Johan's getting another chance here. You know what I mean? What What do we think? He's do we think he can it do it? Or he's gonna fuck it up. <laughs> Over at the Zinco Labs, Marsden is super pumped to start the process. Cronin pushes the lever. So Matt, I I couldn't help but think you were talking about once. You said like button pushing is one of your favorite things yeah. to draw. What about this yeah. lever clacking? Do you like that? <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff when they zoom in on it. That's yeah. so cool. And. And Tyler Crook does such a good job with the backgrounds and all the detail and everything. Imagine just look at how the angle just slightly changes on the zoom in, right? Like you could feel the camera zooming in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, and I like in the panels where you can see like the Ogdruja hat and the monitor in the back. It's all very surreal and cool. Over with Tasso and his forces. They've gone uh they've gone all brave heart on us. Oh yeah. right, yes. Paint. All of Lazar's forces have these face paints all over them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we see that his fortress has been destroyed. His followers are all like, oh no, it can't be, it's over. The Masters, he's done for. But then they see him start to emerge from the rubble. And so he pops up and his eyes are all white. He's got the long beard and he's got all these, like, it's very faint. Well, but the carvings the are carvings, green now. They're green, yeah. yeah. Very cool detail. Not enough guns. Yeah, so he <laughs> resembles Rasputin, right, in this moment. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's, yeah, Mr. Wolf. And he's got that dragon snake behind him. It's great. He says, we are not crushed, and we will not be, not by these people. As you die in battle, I become stronger. We draw from that sacrifice. You make the new world. You make us invincible. And so they're like, yeah, Lord Lazar, we let's like do it. Guy. And so they're all like, yeah, they've got their Braveheart moment. They've got all the monsters in the back, too. So Sal calls for Joko to pull back. See that arrow in his chest? Oh, yeah. Yes, oh, my God. It's probably, well, I don't know. Can an arrow pierce Kevlar? But yeah, it, it looks like it's kind of stuck it's there. stuck in the armor. Yeah. I've always wondered he, that. He's tough. But he's also got one, like, right through his jacket, too. I think you'd snap it off. They don't have time, man. Well, and I like this effect uh, here, the sigils in the smoke. Again. Yeah, so. It's so good. So Lazar, he like clenches his fist and then he makes all the high explosive rounds in one of the other agents' gun blow up. And so I like this quick thinking from Jiroko. She's like, so any second, these are going to be a liability. She pulls all these grenades from this other agent and she throws them at the horde. There's like this giant blast. Again, really cool effect by Tyler Crook here with the big boom and everything. And so the agent's like, Maybe that blast blew out my eardrums, but I don't hear a thing. And so they look over, and so they're still there, but now they're all melted and all gross. And this guy's just like, we can't, we can't do this. Oh, right. No. <laughs> She's just like, we gotta get out of here. They're so outnumbered. It doesn't make any sense, as one agent says. Lashley, I think his name is. We have guns, bombs, stinger missiles. They have sticks and ashes. And then immediately the guy next to him gets his uh, arrow goes in his eye. Axes. <laughs> You said ashes. Oh, axes. Yeah, sorry. Why are we losing, he asks. How can we just die? But the reason is why Lazar is getting all the souls, right, from all the people who are dying. Yeah. yeah and magic. I love this effect as kind of like all the souls are kind of wrapping around him and, and he's everything. Got his, his dagger on. Yeah, that snake dragon thing. Over with the Zinko team. They've got the channel open. They're fucking trying to put the Ogdruja hat in this guy. Right. Well, they they think they have the soul of Rasputin. Oh, yeah. So they're going to put Rasputin into this guy. That's what their hope is. Yes, Kurt says, the EEG registers normal brain activity. He's here. Rasputin is. And then the body kind of breaks out of the thing. It kind of hulks out a little bit. It looks like yeah, and it comes out. It starts walking. Like it kind of walks towards Kurt's and he says, Master, it breaks out of that headpiece and we see, like, all the pieces fall to the ground. And we get, like, a little tease here. We see it in Marsden's eyes. Well, he says, my God. Well, I like the uh, the lettering when he breaks out. It looks like he's saying yes. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out, Aubrey. But then what happens? And then we get this reveal. Uh! 
the old switcheroo, right? So they thought they were bringing back Rasputin, and they brought back the Black Flame. This fucking guy. So, Matt, I wanted to have you on the show mostly for this point right here because I wanted to know what was your reaction when you had this reveal? Violent, I would assume. Oh, what hurts more than the death of a beloved hero? <laughs> His murderer living on, then dying, then living again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, do you, what do you think about this design, though? Oh, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. that it's worse than the Black Flame right back. Yeah. yeah. Like, now he's not the pathetic cretin that he was when he died. <laughs> Such a fucking cool now he's design. Now he's infused with, you know, true power it looks like yeah this is when i started ending my letters with kill the black flame (laughs) (laughs) this is the exact moment it may all make sense now in hindsight but at the time i was thinking why why like why why did they bring this guy back but not you know roger stays dead why do they keep saying they're breaking things they can't fix but they go ahead and fix the black flame right. and not <laughs> and like not just the black flame. It's like the but... Venom version of Black Flame. It's like the Hulk yeah. Hulk Venom Black yeah. Flame. I mean, surely we thought we'd seen the last of this guy, right? Yeah. Like Oh, I thought like I, his... I, I sure I did. But what a formidable I mean, enemy. I mean, you hate him so fucking much. Like what a what a great villain, right? To have this this new 2.0 even scarier version of someone we already know to be like the worst villain <laughs> this series has ever fucking seen yeah i mean if liz sherman can't kill somebody you're right. in trouble right. right and like you were saying you know a villain is bad when readers get upset about it yeah. because <laughs> like like you're reading fantastic four dr doom shows up okay whatever right but here when this guy returns you almost get a sense that there was like a collective gasp of yeah. the readers. Well, it elicits right? that it elicits that reaction and that emotion, and that's something that's so fucking hard to do. You know, so when you can yeah. get right. that, when you can get that, when you make people feel things, that's successful storytelling. Right. Of course, in my house, you could feel the walls shaking because sure. I started throwing <laughs> stuff sure. around. I was totally disgusted. So this reveal, not unlike other reveals in these books really allowed readers to feel like we were all connected as soon as you finish this issue you know everyone else has a similar reaction oh right? yeah that, yeah it's kind of so cool message boards were blowing up <laughs> yeah or or like it's a very quiet book club but yes share, <laughs> sure. they're all sharing the same emotion at the exact same time these comics come out when your comic shop opens on Wednesday, probably like around 10 a.m., something like that. And then by the end of the day, everyone has gone through this. Right. <laughs> and and this isn't just, I mean, okay, they were going to bring back Rasputin. And we're all sitting here going, all right, big deal. Bring him back. But then when you see it's the Black Flame, that's not only unexpected. That is such a plot twist. Yeah. That it shook the readership not, and not just me right no i i totally agree because when i got to this like now that i'm rereading it i'm like oh yeah it makes sense you know they're setting it up cronin's worried that somebody else got to rasputin first we see lazar he looks like rasputin he's got a lot of the powers like rasputin but like at the time i didn't catch it at the time this reveal like still knocked me over the head i was just like fuck like now when i'm reading it it, it kind of sets it up a little bit more and you kind of see it coming but what w- what were your thoughts 
Okay, so it's like I was saying, like, you know, back where they were pointing out his soul being up in there, and I was just like, but wasn't his soul with the Baba Yaga? Um, because I felt like it wasn't that his soul had gotten, like, part of it was with uh, the object you had. I thought it was just that uh, his soul had been split or murdered so many times, and that's why he only had that fragment left. Right. And so I was, like, thinking, okay, so if they're going to be pulling this out, and that's Rasputin, and they're going to put it in this body, and I'm pretty sure this other guy over here is Rasputin as well, does that mean that this battle is going to stop, and he's going to all of a sudden appear in this Oh, lab? that's what and you so, were thinking. And so, like, all of a sudden, like, this starts going on, I'm like, okay, ooh, what's going on here? Holy fucking shit! <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was just like, wow, what a great bait and switch. Right, exactly. What about you, Danielle? What did you think when you got to that? I'm along for the ride. Yeah. I, I was very surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that coming at all. Chapter five. Amazing cover by Ryan Sook. This version uh, of the Black Flame. Yeah. Do you know the history behind this cover? So I was reading something about it. So there was originally a different version to not give away the twist, correct? Yeah. I found it online. I think it's in the back of the original trade. Oh, um, can you send that to me? I don't know if I have that in the omnibus. Sure. And I found some quotes from Scott Alley in an interview about this. After oh, great. Come out. So what happened was, check this out. The covers were done for this series before they'd written the script for any of them. Oh, wow. Interesting. Right? Way ahead. That's uh, crazy. And he says, when the covers were done, the scripts weren't written, but John Arcudi knew pretty specifically how it would play out. So he had like a great outline to go right. on. And we knew that the black flame would stand revealed at the end of number four. And that number five would be all about what he does as he returns. But of course, covers are solicited so far in advance. So putting the black flame on the cover of number five would ruin the surprise. Yeah. In number four. Right. They said we could have hidden him through a real obvious redaction like the black bar, but that would have shown that his identity was in question. And uh, one of the things, yeah. And so one of the things he loved about the story was how sure all the characters were that their plan would work, never guessing that they might grab the wrong guy. Yes. And it's called and return said, of the master too. So it sets that up as well, just in the name. Yeah, exactly. And he says, Ryan played ball with our idea to show the black flame on the cover, but then made a version where the head is hidden by smoke. So you couldn't see the skull. Oh, okay. Uh, and he says, because the Nazis were so sure they were bringing back Rasputin, we figured readers would assume we had just chosen to conceal Rasputin's familiar face. Right. Well, and they have the dragon thing suspense. that's on his robe. Yeah. That's right behind right. him. So. Yep. And he, in the end, he said he, he doesn't think anyone ever questioned who the identity of the figure was on the cover. So that worked. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. That is so cool. Thanks for finding yeah, all that. Sure. It's, it's funny in the back of this omnibus, it mentions something about that. And it shows like the sketch of this. And then it says, but we premiered the one at the top right to solicitors. And I'm like, it's the same damn one. I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at that. <laughs> that's an error. Misprint. Because in the. Yeah, Matt. Because in the back of the omnibus here, it says like it has a description like it's going to show that cover, but it's just this cover again. Yeah. So anyway. Oh, huh. I'll send it to you. Yeah, please do. Uh, this is a little spoilery, but I personally was like the third person to ever draw the black flame in this form. Oh, Ooh. wow. Okay. Yeah, out of out of all the artists who had done it, uh, maybe I was a fourth. But at the time I was drawing it, only uh, three other artists had done it in print. Nice. So, 
I thought it was good. Or, or two other artists had done it in print. And I was drawing it at the same time as somebody else. And theirs came out first. But pretty, I thought that was cool. That is That's very awesome. cool. Yeah, that is so awesome. It's such a cool version, too. The character design is amazing. Yeah. Kurtz is immediately like, what the fuck? But Marsden is super pumped. And he's been fantasizing about Mr. Pope coming back and remembering about him and all this kind of stuff, as we've seen in other issues. And the Black Flame, it just walks over to one of the lab frogs. Mouse, it asks. And so this is a reference to, I wonder if this is Timon, right? Remember, Timon was the one that asked for the mouse for Mr. Pope. Mm-hmm. And the black flame just totally obliterates this yeah. frog, turns him into like a pile of goop. Mr. Pope, that is you, sir, isn't it? Marsden says. And then suddenly there's like a big rumble. Kurtz is like, what's happening? And the black flame says everything. Oh, this yeah, uh, is so creepy. That is Pope. He, he had a score to settle with those frogs. Ah, right. You're absolutely right. They pulled him down. Yeah. And so we cut over to New York, and this rumble is going on everywhere. So this is not something that's just where the Zinko labs are. We see that in New York, and we get some amazing work by Tyler Crook as these two Ogdra Jihads kind of pop up in the middle of New York. Crazy reveal. And again, I always love the scale of these things when they draw them. We cut over to the Salton Sea, and we see that monster that's been sitting there, having not moved for over a year, suddenly uprooted this morning, and is marching towards the coast, a woman says in a helicopter. She's, uh, she's like, transmitting on the news. We're having transmission issues, but we'll stay on the air as long as we can update you on any evacuation orders. As troubling as th- this development is, there is some even more alarming news. It appears the creature is laying eggs. And so we see the salt and sea monster is leaving all these gross eggs behind it. Yeah, so that's not a good sign, right? Not at all. We cut over to Scotland, and here our team is still fighting these monsters. They it's say, super dark. This guy's about to shoot himself. Right. And so they're like, oh, we screwed up. We missed our chance. We should have taken him out. All of a sudden, Lazar, he starts like turning into this ultimate form. He's got all the souls around him. And then the earth opens up. And then there's just like this huge flame explosion. It just totally fries Lazar. So here's like another thing, too. So we thought it sets up on one hand that Rasputin's going to come back. And then he doesn't. And then the form that he does come back in immediately just gets obliterated. Right. As all this stuff, crazy stuff is going on. I was like. Wow, that was uh, that was just <laughs> insane. It reminds me of Jurescu a little bit, right? Similar thing happened to him. Yeah. And so when Lazar is roasted, all the monsters start to kind of fall over too. They're, he has no more power over them anymore. The earthquake, the explosion, it killed Lazar, one of the agents says. Without him, his monsters are just rotten meat. And that crew doesn't look like they'll be much trouble. And we see all the followers running away. And so Jiroko comes over to Sal. He looks pretty wounded. And she's telling him to just relax. It's all over. Over, Sal says. No, 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 sweetheart. It's not over. One of the agents looks over into the crack. And then he just sees all these eyes. There's another Ogdra Jihad. And so we get a we get this crazy splash page as we see it emerge from the ground. And this one has a really cool design, too. Over at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, they're all watching this on the monitors. And so this is happening all over the world. Just oh, So this is so messed up. Like We've already seen some of these monsters come out, but now this is just everywhere. 
This guy can't handle it. He's freaking out. Yeah, the UN guy, he's yeah. losing it. He finally cracked. He's like, things are always getting worse and worse until... So Kate says, you need to calm down right now. Can we get through to Nacheco? We could use some perspective on this. And he's like, impossible. Communications fade in and out. We can't hold a channel. Power outages. Towers down. Ruptured cables. And Panya says that all the emergency feeds are spotty. And the UN guy just crumbles on the ground. He's like, this is it. This is the end. It's only a matter of time. And Kate just kind of looks at him. She gives him this look. And then she just kind of starts talking to Panya. Come on, the monitors aren't doing us much good right now. And I need somebody who can get communications up and running. And so they just leave him there. Awesome. <laughs> well, Whoa, what's his name? Yeah, he yeah. never. He's he hasn't been named. Yeah, I ever. Go get shit done. Well, I mean, if you think about it from his perspective, you know, I mean, he they came in um, after all this shit had gone down, and they were supposed to be like helping the BPRD, and this wasn't supposed right, to happen again. And sure. then all of a sudden. It's happening again, but not just again. It's happening everywhere. Yeah, the scale of this thing. And I also want to point out before we go on, it looks like Marbles is healing up. Yeah. He's got like a, it looks like a cast on or something or I'm not sure. He's getting lots of cuddles and snuggles. (laughs) We cut over to Utah and we see this building is totally destroyed. An ambulance drives away and one of the workers is working on this woman to try and help her keep her eyes open. And one of the guys is like, um, the whole city's done for. We're heading over to Shriners, and we don't even know if the place is still standing. But the woman EMT, she stays focused on treating the woman. She says, you feel helpless? The world's collapsing. We got a girl right here in the rig who's touch and go, but you... And so the woman starts to wake up. Ah, that's what we want, the EMT says. Okay, miss, do you know where you are? Can you tell me your name? Can you do that? Liz, Liz Sherman, the woman says. She's fucked up. She's totally, she's just totally black and blue. Her face is just unrecognizable. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's so cool. Do you think, like, you're with these EMTs, they're giving you, like, the street level perspective again? Right. And then we got a main character in here. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, uh, it's so cool. And so we last saw Liz running away from those creepy dudes in BPRD Monsters. And so we haven't really seen what's happened to her between now and then. And then this building was totally wrecked. So, like, all this stuff is going on all over the world. Do you think that had to do with that? Or did she have some sort of surge of power? Did this building collapse because of her? That's what I was thinking. What what are your thoughts on that, Matt? Do you think this is just part of all the the destruction that's going on everywhere? Or is Liz tied to this somehow? I think she's a victim. Um I do not think she's tied to it. Okay. I think that this really is more BPRD in the streets. Right. And what surprises me is how vulnerable Liz seems to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, she's really, really beat up, and we've never seen her that that damaged. Oh, yeah. She's got, like, yeah. a neck brace on and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's just a mess. So I, I think she's a victim of whatever's happening in the world. But the Black Flame comes back, and then we get Liz Sherman. That's good. Yes. That is good. <laughs> yeah. We cut over to Colorado, and we see this guy in a truck, and he's got Phoenix and Bruiser in the back seat, and he sees this like explosion behind him in the rearview mirror. He gets out, and he asks if they're okay. And he says, look at that. Just look at it, girl. If I'd gone up 24 like I was planning, I'd be there, right there. And then I see you hitching at the Sunico, and you say 50's better. I still don't know why I listened to you, but I did, didn't I? 
come on. And so he lets her and Bruiser come into the front seat. He says, you're my good luck charm. You saved my life. Bruiser, he can stink all the way to California if he wants. Aww. So she, you know, convinces guy to go the other way. And so she knew that disaster was going to happen there. Do you have Sunacos out there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we sure okay. do. That's a yeah. gas station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have those here. It seems like Phoenix is off to California now. We cut over to Moscow. And I, I didn't look this up. Do you know what these buildings are that it's knocking over? Probably just downtown Moscow. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's probably just the skyline there. But this monster is so incredible. I love the design of this guy. So they have a giant Ogdruhem in Moscow as well. And this colonel is pissed, right? He comes over and he's saying, The president has sent me to collect director Nacheko. That giant pickle jar is not likely to make a fool out of the president. And so he storms into Yosef's office. And it looks like Yosef is on the phone in there. They're talking about the team from Scotland. And so this guy comes in and he's like, Scotland, that's not your country director. And so Nacheko, he's like, look, please wait in the lobby. But this guy insists, you know, he says, the president will see you now. I understand that. You see Moscow under attack, but this is an international crisis, Yosef says. My responsibilities and commitments expand beyond your vision. The SSS is a Russian agency, and Russia's leaders require your presence. And if you think I won't drag you, and then Yosef just beats the shit out of this guy. Jeez. He just backhands him, and he smashes him against the wall. You Soviet throwbacks, who can you frighten when there are real monsters in the streets? You are a clown, fat man. Jeez. Does your president want to see me? Then he'll come to my door on his knees. This is my world now. And then Yosef hears laughing, and he looks over and he sees Vivara in her jar, and she's just laughing at him. And she's like, your world? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And so that's the first time that we've seen her make any kind of sound whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. We cut over to the team in Scotland, and we see this Audrey head that, that came out of the ground. It kind of looks like a mud skipper or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, it's super cute. Yeah. <laughs> you just call it, cute. it is it is objectively the cutest of the Audrey had designs am i wrong i'll give you that okay and so the team is trying to get away from it just as it's coming upon them this missile comes out and it kind of blows the side of the Ogdruhem up goddamn cavalry all right hey is that choppers tassel said choppers couldn't fly up here in the highlands guess it depends on the chopper jiroko says and we see that the SSS, Russian helicarrier. Yeah. And so this was that design that we saw in Yosef's blueprints behind his desk. And we also saw it in Liz's vision from the King of Fear. And that's what it ends on. So it's kind of like, yay, Tasso, uh, Tasso and Jiroko's crew got rescued. But then this is a very ominous sign too, yeah. right? Because we know that yeah. Liz saw this in all the wreckage of and Jiroko's uniform and all that stuff. Yeah, so really crazy way to wrap up this second BPRD Hell on Earth omnibus. What did you think of this of the wrap up to the story, Aubrey? God damn it, I want the next one right now. <laughs> <laughs> what but, a, what a, but but a good wrap up. Yeah. What about you, Danielle? Yeah, I mean, it definitely sets up a lot. It sets up a lot. Right. Black I'm, Flame is back. I mean, yeah. Liz is back. And, you know, I know that you guys were very skeptical of Yosef when he was first introduced. What do you think? Right, have your thoughts changed anymore now? What What do you think about that character? Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know. He just seems like he's very ego driven, which which to me is just kind of a recipe for 
you know, that's, there's a lot of hubris going on there as we see Vivara is like, oh, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's actually a world full of giant demons that you cannot control. So you are fucked. And right. it's, it's a very kind of a he's fucked sort of thing. But no, I, yeah, you're right. I didn't trust him and I still don't trust him. I don't trust any of these characters. Probably Kate is maybe the only one I trust. I don't know. I think he's he's definitely working on the right side right now. But right now, yeah. But exactly. there there's just something a little off putting that makes him untrustworthy. Right. Yeah. What about you, Matt? How did you feel about um because uh I wanna say maybe I'm totally wrong, but was there a little bit of a break after this? Did did the did the series not come back immediately or Oh, good question. I don't know. I okay. can't remember that. I, I always feel like there was too long of a break between arcs for sure. Yeah, I kind of I, I, I might be remembering it wrong, but I want to say that there was a. I remember reading this this last issue a lot because I was just like, "What's going to happen next?" And for some reason, it seemed like a long time. Maybe it's because it was just so good. But um, well, and this this is the end of a chapter. Yeah. Um, so when Liz set the world on fire, right, uh, or the center of the world, that's when the Agju Hem came to Earth, right? That's that's when they started to appear. Yes. Like she triggered that. Then mm. the black flame comes back, and now they're active. They're laying eggs. They're destroying everything. So this was like a genuine turning point in the series. Yeah. Right. It, just even the way it ends with that helicarrier, you know, okay, things are going to be different now. Right. right. Things Steps get it worse. Up a little bit, yeah. Yeah, maybe they can fight back, but it's on a new level. But this series is so tight. Think about it. There are like five or six different plot lines in this one arc, and it's never hard to follow. Oh, yeah. Illegible. Like, the key threads are, like, number one, you have Kate, Devon, Johan, Phoenix. They're at Colorado headquarters with Panya and all that. Then there's Zinko and the Nazis trying to bring back Rasputin. Then there's Lazar and the BPRD in Scotland. Right. And then there's... Yosef and Vavara in Russia. I mean, those are just just in five issues. They cover all that, but within each one of those threads, there's all these uh, multiple like micro threads that are more personal. <laughs> right. You know? Yes. Like Phoenix's vision, and now she's run away. Right. Giarocco's journey and and character building. I think Sal is dead now. Yeah, it looks like he was dying. Seems like you know that son <laughs> of a bitch. The Black Flame returns, <laughs> and the Agju Hem wake up. And it affects every single one of those plot lines. Like oh, we yeah. get to see in issue five, they're all being affected by that, and it brings it full circle. They definitely but packed a lot of storytelling into five issues. Yeah, I I think you can only do it in the BPRD, and it's like we were just saying, like you have to wait for the next arc. But I think the way they do these miniseries allows them be, to be able to tell these self-contained stories while pushing a greater narrative yeah. along. Yeah. And so these threads can intersect and you don't feel lost. You occasionally want to pull out the back issues, like we always say. Yes. But, but you don't feel <laughs> totally lost. You just have to refresh your memory. And we even see Liz Sherman. Yeah. And and they keep going back to Abe. I mean, how did they do that without it feeling off balance? Right. Yeah. So, and I think it's uh, just uh, it's it's built on so much to... I think, like you said, I think it could only happen in this series. The way that they've yeah. built this universe, it kind of makes it very accessible and fluid to be able to move back and forth between all these different storylines. Yeah, and so I know this came out in 2012, right? But what year is it in the story? Do you know? 
I don't know. I thought it was 2012 in the story. I always assume that it's that year because um, so it doesn't explicitly tell us. Like at one point, readers on message boards started to call that out and go, "Hey, what year is it?" Ah. Because if because how much time has passed? Yeah. Like well, it said uh, um, well, it said it was like one year since the Salton Sea Monster had been there. Oh right, yeah. that gives oh, us some it did indication. Say one year. Yeah. Because she was like after being motionless for a year. So, yeah, I guess it was a year later from King of Fear. Oh, it's very clever how they don't put timestamps yeah. anywhere, you know, because then you could nitpick. But they don't go, here's the exact date and time. Right, right. Yeah. It, you know, it always says Utah. It doesn't say Utah one month later. Right, yeah. My sense is over these five issues a month passed right maybe? it seems like it but who knows and so then if you have to wait three or four months for the next issue you start to lose sense of time but that does not affect the story i think it gives them a leg up actually i think it frees them up a little bit yeah but anyway that's just an observation oh yeah no and, and we were talking about that a little bit like uh Jiroko says they haven't been attacked in days so you know you really right. get the idea that the team in scotland they've been out there for a long time they talked about Lee Han's team. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so they've been missing for a while, too. Yeah, great discussion. And I, I love Return of the Master. I thought this was a great one when it came out. I remember really enjoying it and really psyching me up for what was going to happen next. Yeah, it only gets worse. <laughs> worse or better, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, it's hard to look at it. Talk about love to hate. Right. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll get into that a little bit more. I, I have a note on that maybe when we get to a different storyline. There's some really cool stuff in the back of the omnibus version. We get some notes by Tyler Crook, and we get all his preliminary sketches of all the monsters that he designed. We see that ghost monster that was on the cliff. I like when he's transforming. He's going, I'm more angry. <laughs> <laughs> and we see... um. We see Mignola did a lot of the designs for like that snake monster that Lazar had. Mignola also designed a lot of the Ogdru Hem that we see come out of the ground. And we see extensive Tyler Crook sketches on all these mutated animals. So we see like a fox and a dog and a wildcat. This osprey, it says crazy eyeballs. I like all the little side notes that he puts in there. Um, we see like a mutated badger and all this stuff. <laughs> I like a little cute one down here. Yeah. <laughs> it's the little cute one saying, Misa, love you. <laughs> yeah, so Mignola designed a lot of these Ogdrahem. You can see those. And then I thought this was really interesting. So there's a note by Tyler Crook in a sketch of Lazar when he's carving all those things into his body. And he's kind of like wincing. He's grimacing. And Tyler Crook says, originally Lazar was going to look like this at the end of issue one, but at the last minute I decided that having him grimace like that made him seem too normal. I instead went with the deadpan stare. And so I thought that was much more effective. We see also sketches of the charms that Tasso had, and it says charm A and charm B. And I don't know if we ever saw charm B, so I wonder if that was another... Um, if that was going to be used somewhere in the story. It looks like a little head of yeah. a fox or something. Another thing that's cool is that apparently James Heron came up with the character design for the Black Flames evolution. And so you get to see all the really cool sketches of James Heron kind of trying to figure out how this is going to work with the skull kind of floating over this massive body. And I just like all the little notes that he writes too, like bubbly part or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Skin bubbles. Yeah. Big blue veins and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, these James Heron sketches of the Black Flame are so awesome. They're, they're great to look at. 
Cut if you have the omnibus version. Check those out. Also, all the preliminary sketches from Ryan Sook on his covers. And Mignola actually did a little thumbnail of some of these covers for 4 and 5. And you can check all those out. And then also those Year of Monster covers are also back there as well. Awesome, awesome. I love this story. Great discussion on it. And so we'll have another great discussion on another story next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on the return of the master. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And the Discord link is on our Facebook page along with the reading list. Also check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com for all the wonderful stuff that they do over there. And always a thank you to Paul from Gardaharn for the amazing theme that we use forever. Yeah. <laughs> You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are going to be discussing the amazing screw-on head and other curious objects. So, you know what to do. Pull out your back issues, your trades, your omnibuses. I wish it was an omnibus firm. Oh, right. Good point. There is no omni for this one. Um, Pull out your back issues and your trades. Dream of your omnibus <laughs> and hold on to it like Nancy did in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and wake up with it and bring it into the world. It's not a bad idea. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. <laughs> that was great. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. And I'm Aubrey Lowe saying, we are now serving ghost beef in the cafeteria <laughs> or some shit. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs>